Hey, this is Ken Art of Wake Up Carolina. Because we're in such demand, we decided to do a podcast. Well, actually, it's like an archive of a previously broadcast show on the radio. So it's not a podcast. Well, it is presented as a podcast. So invite people to join us for whatever it is you just said they can join us for. That's right. Enjoy, and it starts now. Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, April the 6th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. I told Mike this morning, Mike was asking about some of the other, uh, I guess, responsibilities uh, of the job. And I said, hey, I'm going to let you get your feet under. I mean, you're not being well-led. I mean, if you were oh, being yeah? well-counseled and well-led, then then obviously I would um I would ask you to entrust you with some of these other unbelievable responsibilities Mm -hmm. but um rev's kind of a um what's your point uh, i mean (laughs) i'm just i I want i want him to um to to clearly understand um the way things are done over there and i know that you aren't um uh, anyway we'll we'll leave it there uh so and over there means he's running the controls he started yesterday running running did a good job yeah and did a good job no question about it hey um what is the most interesting story this morning to you now, to me, it's is Tiger going to play in the Masters or not? That's a big deal. But I got chastised yesterday mm. for spending too much time talking about sports, whether it's the Lady Gamecocks or Coach K or Kansas, Rock Chalk Jayhawk and, and North Carolina, whether it's – um, I mean, you ain't seen nothing yet. You wait till we get to college football season oh, yeah. and we'll – Hey, um, wait till tomorrow. Opening day of Major League Baseball. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, it is much. opening day for Major League Baseball. Um, but so so. You, you but that's that's down the that's that's. I mean that the baseball becomes interesting. Well, I mean opening day is interesting. You're right. I mean opening day is a day I mean, that. To, um, to me, this is a, such a great week because it's Masters week. The Tiger story to me is just awesome. I mean, I think I think professional golf is so much better when Tiger's there and when he's playing well. That's just my opinion. Makes it more interesting. Is he the most transformational athlete of mine in your generation? I mean, there's only one yeah. other name that comes to mind, Ali. Yeah. I mean, whether you liked him or not, Muhammad Ali was a uh, he transcended. He was um his his allure, his uh what am I trying to say? His aura was bigger than sports. Tiger very similar to that. Right. One of the uh, one of the interesting comments yesterday because I'm not a big golf fan. I mean, I'm simply not, you know, the, the Valero open, uh, whatever, you know, um, <laughs> that's whatever you do. Yeah. I mean, turn it over there so you can take a nap because they talk real low and they don't wake you up by shouting, there's a wreck in turn three. You know, if you, if you try to take a nap during the race, uh, there could be a wreck in turn three and you know, the, um, the audible on the, uh, on the television gets a lot louder and, uh, and in golf, it never does that. But someone asked yesterday, um, because I'm concerned as a as a Masters fan and a U.S. Open fan and a PGA Championship and an Open Championship uh, over there, I, I'm I'm kind of a fan of the majors. Not not a big golf fan, fan of the majors. I don't remember a major that Phil nor Tiger were there. Let me say that again: Tiger nor Phil. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's unfair to put Phil ahead of Tiger. And everybody knows that. I mean, Tiger's the um Tiger's the 800 pound gorilla. Phil would be the what 500 pound gorilla. And everybody else is a buck fifty or a buck seventy-five, <laughs> but I mean, we know that Phil has his issues, and he's not planning to play. Um, and it's not like you just show up tomorrow. Hey, can I play? Uh, you got an opening, and you're foursome. That ain't the way the Masters rolls. No. Um, there's a ceremonial process of which you um, apply, and you know, let the I don't know the guys that run that event and ladies. Um, they've woke a little bit in uh, in Augusta, <laughs> and um, but anyway, uh, I was just thinking about the, a Masters without Tiger or feel would be a bit of a shock to the golf fan 
Um, and the intrigue around Tiger kind of um, eases the pain of not having feel there. Would you agree to that? I agree 100%. Because those two guys have, uh, I don't know, have um, created a lot of interest in the game of golf that probably normally wouldn't be there. Tiger, for the obvious reasons, an African-American, um, kind of a prodigy, feel for the uh for the not so obvious reason but he's just kind of a swashbuckling go for it kind of guy in fact there was a point in time over the last few weeks when phil announced he would not be playing the masters and there was no thought that tiger would that uh, tiger would tiger woods um that that i thought oh man that's just not going to be quite as interesting it'll we be need, great i mean the masters is the masters but it, but we need it, one of those two i agree so we, much we don't need to go from um from both being there to neither being there and um and tiger i mean listen uh, th- there are certain athletes you don't bet against no matter what the odds are and what the appearance is and tiger's one of those guys that um i mean i can assure you with this i don't know tiger woods i've watched him over the years do crazy amazing stupid things on a golf course if tiger says i can play you can you can take the inference he i can win i mean tiger ain't the kind of guy to go out there and be a lap car that's right right i mean he's a competitor he just he ain't the the kind of guy that says man if i could only shoot 75 twice and make the cut you know that that'd be a remarkable moment no tiger's thinking 68 69 and trying to win the event give himself a chance on on the point i'm trying to make the the two most intriguing figures in golf today to me are still tiger woods and phil mickelson tiger for the obvious reasons phil because he's um he's the guy that'll try to what what is the movie um happy gilmore he's just that kind of guy that'll try things that don't make any sense and pull them off about half the time and we all say wow i was there when phil did this or i was there when phil did that now tiger's more robotic i mean it's you know tiger to me phil is like you know tiger's at this this high level i mean he's just you know obviously the goat okay uh, uh, one of the goats he's in the discussion no question um here nicholas phil is relatable you know although you know obviously i don't play golf and certainly don't play anything near the way he plays but um but at least you kind of feel like i feel like i know him the golfer next door yeah the thumbs up yeah the the all shucks i think that's phony um because i don't think he's anything near that (laughs) here's what phil is though rev and you can you can believe this because i've talked to one guy in my life that knew golf at that level i mean the former coach at south carolina and i were having a beer and um, I'm just kind of the guy that says, hey, tell me about this. Because he knows that he knows golf at that level. And um, and he explained it to me this way, that, that Phil is the guy that needs 24-7 stimuli. Tiger is quite comfortable. If the golf course says, hey, you got to hit greens and fairways or fairways and greens and two putt and make par, that's what Tiger does. Phil gets bored with that. After about three or four holes, he looks at his watch and says, who wants to be out here all day making pars? <laughs> Surely we can try to hit it over that tree or around that bend or over that lake or, you know what I mean? He just, he's the kind of guy that needs that stimulation um, 24-7. Um, but, but he said this, and I'll quote. I said, well, who's the better player? He said, well, Tiger's the better player. I mean, there's no question. Tiger's motivated himself. He's conditioned himself. Um, the mindset of Tiger Woods. And we just talked about studious you know, pre- preparation, all these things. He said, but I'm telling you, on a random round of 18 or random, yeah, random, uh, random round of golf, Phil probably has more shots in his bag than Tiger. And it was me and another guy. We both looked like, what? He said, I'm serious. I mean, as far as um, the most creativity, the most um, just raw talent, 
Phil doesn't take a back seat to anybody. He just can't. He can't help himself. Tiger says, well, it's stupid to try to hit it over that water. I mean, why would I do that to gain a 20-yard advantage? And Tiger and Phil goes, i got to gain that 20-yard advantage. Yeah. it over the water. Why would anybody not try to gain that 20-yard advantage? And about a third of the time, the ball ends up in the water, and we kind of scratch our heads. And you know what we all say? That's Phil. I mean, mm-hmm. that's Phil being Phil. And, um, but you got to give if you're going to complain about us talking a little sports, I mean, just think of the context of this week. This is just a – I mean, we started the week with the Lady Gamecocks winning the national championship. Yippee. For, well, for Gamecock fans, that is a I'm big a deal. I'm a Gamecock fan. And that's cool. It's cool. Okay. All right. And, and bask more, in the more glory. Mo- more money wagered on the USC-UConn women's basketball game than any other female event in history. I mean, that's out of Las Vegas. More money waged than any other female really? athletic event. Okay. My question would be, what second? I mean, is <laughs> what, would the sec- right. what was the first uh, all-time um, wagered game in women's sports history? But you're right. It's a very interesting— But, but think about that. It started the week, mm-hmm. and then we had the, the men's basketball national championship, mm-hmm. college basketball, and we had the Masters this week, and just by the, the I guess, the nature of the lockout uh, timing with the Major League Baseball, opening day is— tomorrow and i think we got a dirt race sunday in richmond in bristol if i'm not mistaken so big week don't forget the good old boys and the hayseeds us race fans uh want to be a part of it as well let's go to the phone we have verd in marlboro county hey verd good morning good morning man how y'all doing hey verd good uh speaking of sports uh good thing out of columbia yesterday the uh, republican controlled house passed out the transgender bill i think the vote was like 84 to 24 uh, the Democrats, uh, again, on the wrong side of uh, the people of South Carolina, they uh, uh, offered up a thousand amendments trying to stall it. But anyway, it passed out of the House, and I guess we'll go on to the Senate. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's important we protect women's sports, and uh, I think a lot of states are beginning to look at it. And Dawn Staley, even though you know, she's won two national championships, if you put a couple of 611 guys from uh, – Pamplico on the Connecticut team, I don't think that she wins another national championship. <laughs> so, anyway, it's good to see the South Carolina legislature, uh, particularly the House, uh, which we have a supermajority in anyway and a supermajority in the Senate. It's good to see them take a stance that they're going to protect women's sports in South Carolina. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate that. Tennessee's doing that as well. Uh, imagine southern states being the first to try and um, halt some of the, I don't want to say the progress, because uh, it's not progress to me. It's not progress when you allow men to compete with women in athletic affairs. I mean, that's just not progress. That's lunacy as far as I'm concerned. But a lot of southern states I actually ate lunch with um, Jay Jordan Friday. And we were talking about the bill coming down the pike and what he thought it would look like and how many Democrats may or may not um, support this bill. It's just odd to me that the southern Democrat is allowing the national party to dictate um, where it stands on some of these um, social and cultural issues. Um, yeah, does the Southern Democrat, does he believe that? Does no. He, the, I mean, I, the majority, I believe. I can't speak for them. Right. I mean, that's but I wonder. That. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. When I presided over the state Senate, it, it dawned on me, the people I had most in common with, not ideologically, but from a from a life experience perspective, was the Southern Democrat, the rural Democrat, Vincent Shaheen from Camden, uh, Kershaw County. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple of others. Um, Brad Hutto. I mean, Brad and I don't share ideology or, or governing philosophy, but our life experiences were very the same. Farming and, you know, uh, construction and industry and, and manufacturing and all those sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, the, the national movement 
has been highly effective in convincing these Democrats is all for one and one for all. And I just don't think that's in um, a Southern Democrat's best interest to let some of these uh, affluent Northeast liberals affect, you know, kind of where you stand on some of these cultural and social issues. Speaking of the state house, did you see where uh, they had storms in Columbia? The storms rolled through most of the state yeah, yesterday. And, and the members of the state house were taken to the basement yeah. uh, when there was a tornado warning downtown Columbia. I was concerned very little about those lawmakers in the basement. I was much more concerned about my daughter on South Quad. Right. You know, she was texting me. Were you, and actually, were you getting some Carolina you know, alerts? And stuff? She, she got a text saying, go to the, you know, go to the, she's on the fifth floor of her uh, dorm. And she got a text saying, go downstairs. And she called me kind of nervous about what should I do? I said, go downstairs. Go downstairs, <laughs> go, go downstairs and, and just kind of hold on for a second. And then I go to the weather channel and I'm monitoring. And I said, hey, this thing will probably be gone in about 10 or 15 minutes. She said it got rough for a second or two, but nothing. Um, but but it did. Did. You, did you ever have to retreat to the basement when you were in the lieutenant governor's office? I did not. I never retreated anywhere. I don't hide from anything, oh, Rev. You know me yeah, better. Yeah, than that. Right. <laughs> Let's go to the phone. Yeah, dumb question, of course. <laughs> uh, here's Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. Hey, guys. I'm glad you brought up the opening day thing. You know, um, we got so much bad going on in the world. It is nice to be able just to forget about and watch a ball game once in a while. The thing about Phil and Tiger that's so kind of cool is if it wasn't for Tiger – Phil would have probably won a few more golf tournaments and have a little bit more money in his pocket. You always have to wonder if that's in the back of their head, and that's why they're going for that extra 20 yards. You know, this guy's wore me out my whole career. I've only won a handful of tournaments. Maybe I need that extra 20 yards. And it is fun to watch the the thought processes. And, you know, I, I play a very little bit of golf myself. But sometimes you're watching these guys, you know, what the heck's he thinking? What to do that for? And uh, it is nice to take away from the trials and tribulations of our uh, president and uh, forget about that stuff just for a little while in the afternoon. You guys have a good day. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate that. You know, when you think about Phil, Phil's often said that he was born at the wrong time. You know, Tigers won, what, 16 majors? Is it, am I right? I mean, I, is it 14 it or 15 or 16 a or, lot. or somewhere that light? But when, when, when Dale says Tiger Fields won some tournaments, Fields won a lot of tournaments. Um, I'll just say this. Phil Mickelson, Nick Faldo, Lee Trevino, all have won six major championships. I mean, that's top 10. 15 for Tiger. Okay, 15 for Tiger. 15 major championships for Tiger, which is second to Jack. Um, Mickelson has a, I'll give you a comparison. Nicholas is probably the, I mean, if you look at major championships, Nicholas is the greatest golfer ever, right? I mean, it's just, you know, he's won more majors than anybody ever has. Tiger's one of the second most majors. Um, and and there was kind of an oddity, Rev. When I was younger, and once again, I'm not a golf aficionado. I got buddies of mine who tell me these things because they really, really are immersed in the game of golf. You had Arnold Palmer kind of pass the baton to Jack Nicholas, who kind of passed the baton to Tom Watson. All three of those guys are arguably top 10 golfers in the history of, of the game of golf. I didn't say they are. I mean, I said arguably. You, you could get to Watson and Palmer. I mean, obviously, Nicholas is, without question. And most say he's the greatest that's ever been. Um, had Tiger not gotten hurt and had some issues other than, um, you know, uh, Tiger had some extracurriculars that caused him some, um, mm-hmm. some grief and pain and, <laughs> and, um, and lack of progress in his personal life. Hey, welcome to the real world, right? Um, 
your problems aren't on the news like tigers are but we all live in a we're all flawed men and women in a flawed and failed world but when you look at the passing of the baton the, the, phil and tiger were here together you know that they were in their prime almost simultaneously phil came along a little bit earlier than tiger i think tiger's 46 and phil's 51 or 52 um, I've got golfing friends that believe this. Nobody's ever played the game of golf as a 50-year-old better than Phil Mickelson. Now, you can call, you know, training and conditioning and equipment. Um, had Bobby, excuse me, had Lee Trevino had that sort of conditioning and that sort of training and that sort of, condi- you know, equipment. Well, I mean, yeah, if, if, if. I mean, that's always uh, an answer you can apply or, or, or a condition you can apply to whatever argument you're having. But I think you under terribly underestimate the career of Phil Mickelson um, if you don't believe he's a potential top 10, I mean, I think there's a reason to have a debate about whether Phil is a top 10 golfer ever. I mean, I seriously think he probably, if he's not in the top 10, he's just outside of the top 10. And Dale makes a point. What, what would Phil's record look like had he not to go, had he not had to go mano a mano with, with at least the second best golfer that has ever lived in the prime of both of their careers true um and it's been good for the game of golf i mean phil will tell you it's been great for the game of golf um talking about had a little more money in his pocket um phil it's reported because he's had some issues recently with the pga and he asked for this i mean he made some terrible terrible decisions and it is what it is but but there are reports that phil has about a hundred million dollars in his pension account you know these deferred income plans and these um it's almost i don't want to say it's a state retirement account but it's similar to that a certain percentage of your earnings go to a retirement account there's some way you could defer compensation that goes into a retirement account and there are multiple reports that said phil's you know retirement quote unquote account with the pga has about a hundred million dollars uh, just <laughs> waiting bad. there yeah and he's done fairly well winning you know and keeping his <laughs> share but uh you know he's just um feels kind of a uh, swashbuckler I mean, he walks to the beat of his own drum, and um, and the Saudis are trying to um, start a new golf tour. And Phil said some things that uh, human rights issues came into play, and you know, uh, totalitarian forms of government came into play. I don't know that Phil is very interested in that. And Phil, I think, at his heart, is a contrarian. Tiger's the kind that says, "Hey, some things I don't like about the PGA, but I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. I'm gonna go out there and win." Yeah, and, and I think <laughs> Phil says some things I don't like about the PGA. And I'm not going to bite my tongue. I'm going to say some of these things. So there really is a contrast to personality. But I can say this. The Masters is much better when both are there. I was worried that neither were going to be there. And they just lose a lot of flair and flavor if Tiger and Norfield are playing um, all of a sudden. And I'm glad Tiger's decided to tee it up tomorrow. I've heard some commentators describing this week Tiger on on the practice rounds and stuff. Uh, that were were saying that it was like Sunday crowds. I mean, they were just following him. They were cheering for, you know, close putts and that sure. kind of thing. Yeah. So. As if he were playing a round of golf. But it would be better if Phil were there as well. Yeah. Take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. So we spent about 15 or 20 minutes this morning, as we historically have, talking about sports. But it is a kind of an interesting period of time. I mean, you got yeah, the college basketball championships, um, you got baseball's opening day. Mm-hmm. You got the Masters week, and to me, it's the South on full display. I mean, it's 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 the old South meets the new South. It's um, it's tradition. It's uh, I mean, the the Masters is a little bit of everything. I mean, it really and truly is. And uh, in a world where 
not many people respect their surroundings or their fellow man. I mean, we live in a very dis, dis kind of a disrespectful world. Someone asked me once, you know, what does the masters, um, what, what, what do you, what does the masters reveal to you? It, it's, um, it's what's possible when enough people care. I mean, I've told you that and you mm-hmm. agree with me. Um, there ain't no trash laying around. Everybody's hospitable. I mean, it's, um, it's just a, it's an example of what is possible when people really care well, and, then, and genuinely invest their energy, effort, reputation in a sporting event or whatever else. And it's the, the way the place is so beautiful. I mean, there's just nothing like it. it it's astonishing. I mean, it, I don't know what it feels like to stand on holy ground because I never have. But, but the few times I've gone, and I'm not a golfer. I mean, understand, I don't know the six iron, you know, that, that, that lefty yeah, hit and, and whatever. I don't remember the Tiger chip in. You know, I was not on the grounds and the roar of the crowd and all that. But I have such respect for the general nature of the event and, and, and how, I mean, to me, to me, and I tell my kids this, it, it's what is possible when enough people genuinely, sincerely care. Um, and that's, that's kind of, um, that, that's, what, that's what my takeaway is from going there. But speaking of Phil Mickelson, I mean, do you think you could argue that he should be in the discussion of, of one of the greatest golfers? Well, I mean, I think the, the argument you tried to make, or you didn't try to make the argument, but you were about playing in the shadow of Tiger. Yeah, yeah he's played yeah. in the shadow of Tiger because Tiger may be the best there's ever been. I mean, Nicholas has won more majors, but Tiger may be the best golfer there's ever been. Obviously, the most transformational golfing figure there's ever been and Phil kind of has played second fiddle to tiger for a long time and i think because of playing second fiddle to tiger he's not considered one of the all-time greats he's kind of the um larry and magic i mean there's a fair debate about hey uh, who's better larry or magic i don't know who do you think i think larry's better that's because you're a white guy i think i think magic is. that's because you're a black guy you know what i mean there's so many um things included in that debate but um but there's no debate about who's better tiger or Phil. It's not Larry and Magic. I mean, you could ask 100 basketball fans, who's the better player, Larry Bird or Magic Johnson? And I'll bet you about 50% would say Larry, 50%. 95% is going to say Tiger's better. But the point I'm trying to make, Rev, Phil's won roughly 50 events. He's won six major championships. That's top 10. I mean, that's the resume of a top 10 all-time player, not just the guy that, you know, tried to measure up against Tiger Woods. So, yeah, I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, when you look at Phil Mickelson's career in its totality, yeah, I mean, I think it's top 10 sort of golf career. Let's go to the phone. Terry in Lake City. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Hey, Terry. Hey, uh, Tiger Woods, August 20th, 1996, Brown Deer Golf Course, Milwaukee, Greater Milwaukee Open. I watched him take his first professional golf swing. I wasn't probably 25 foot away. I mean, the height was there even then, and I knew he, knew he was good. He was, I think, he's 20 years old, and I'll never forget. After that round, they were, you know, had a little autograph session, and there was a line of people, and I'm like, "Well, crap! I'm not going to stand around and wait on this." I said, "You know, did not knowing that I actually witnessed history, and then walking away from, you know, being able to put something on a shelf or something to pass down to my kids, other than a memory of me being there." You know, you just never know when history is going to be made. I mean, just never know. And but the one thing you said earlier, Ken, it, it, something popped in my mind. You said you never run from anything. All of a sudden, the picture of Lieutenant Dan on the mass of the <laughs> Fort Gump, and you're up on the mask. And I'm thinking, 
He has to say, come on, bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I don't run from things, but I don't go looking for trouble either. Thank you, thank you, Terry. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. And, and you know, talking about Tiger, yeah, I don't, I don't run from things, but I don't go looking for trouble if I can uh, if I can avoid it either. But talking about Tiger, um, it's not just a sporting event. I mean, when, when Tiger's there, it, there's so many other ingredients involved in this i mean obviously his golf career speaks for itself i mean there is no doubt about that what he's done on the golf course is phenomenal now he's had his struggles in his personal life and um and i think tiger's probably um better received now than he ever has been because he doesn't appear to be as robotic and pre-planned tiger was kind of the the classic example of uh a father and son mutually wanting something um proportionally the dad wanted Tiger to be the greatest golfer ever. Tiger wanted to be the greatest golfer ever. The dad was willing to stick with Tiger and send him to train at you know, schools and, and work with him and hone his game and demand certain things of Tiger. Most kids would rebel. I mean, if a father kind of wants to live vicariously through that young kid, most kids would say, I don't want to do this anymore, Dad. I want to go to the store. I want to go to the movie. I want to go to the, the ball game with my buddies. But for whatever reason... The perfect storm was, you know, Eldrick Woods wanted Tiger to be the best golfer ever, kind of had a plan to get him there, and Tiger bought in 1,000%. Now, I believe that some of his struggles was because he was never allowed to live a normal life. I mean, there's some documentaries and, and you know, some writings out there about what life was like as a young Tiger Woods, and it was weird. I mean, it was extremely bizarre the way they raise Tiger. Now, that's his, their kid, and they choose to raise their kid as they see fit. But if some of these documentaries are correct and right and accurate, I mean, it's pretty bizarre. You know, the, the relationship he and his father had, their commitment to the game of golf, nobody can deny what the end result was. I mean, it's been a life of fame and fortune and the all-time greatest golfer ever, but at what price? And I think a lot of Tiger's issues as he got older were as a result of his almost being programmed and pre-planned, you know, in, in robotic fashion to do exactly what it is he ended up doing. And it, and it proved, after all, he is human. No, no without question. Um, and why do we think he was not? Some golfing, I mean, they're still human beings. I don't care how famous and, and fortunate you've been. You're still a, um, uh, still a red-blooded human being. Let's go to the phone. Here's Tony in Florence. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, guys. So, uh... Tiger's talent and focus are absolutely undeniable. Uh, you, you, you just can't, by watching him, especially earlier in his career, um, you cannot deny that. Uh, Phil's cur- courage is kind of like Kevin Costner was in 10 Cup. You know, <laughs> he's gonna, I can hit this three wood over that, over that water, onto that green. And he dropped five balls and put it on the green just to prove a point. But you go back and look at Jack Nicholas. Not only did he have 18 majors, look how many second places he had in a major. How many third places he had. How many top tens he had in majors. It's outrageous. There's no denying that Jack Nicholas was the best golfer to ever step on the planet. But Tiger Woods changed the game, hands down. Not a sports show, guys, I understand, but just had to give you my two cents. Thank so you. I but, I mean, with Tiger, there's so much more than sports. I mean, it's Masters Week, and we're, what, two hours away, two hours and 15 minutes away from one of the um, one of the most holy grounds in all of sports. I mean, if you really think about the holy grails of sports, 
uh, the, the holy cathedrals. There's a better way to say it. The holy cathedrals of sports. I mean, this is much bigger than a game. This is much bigger than a Final Four or a NCAA men's basketball or women's basketball championship. You're talking about the characteristics of a nation. Madison Square Garden is a part of our DNA. Lambeau Field is a part of our DNA. Fenway Park is a part of our DNA. Uh, to some degree, and I'll get a bit nostalgic here, it's kind of who we are. And Augusta National is a part of our DNA. It's a, it's a tradition unlike any other, is what Jim Nance says. So, so yeah, I mean, I think any, any, you don't have to be a baseball fan to revere Fenway Park, or Wrigley Field for that matter. You don't have to be, you know, a sports fan to hold Madison Square Garden in high regard. And I think the Masters and Augusta National, I think Augusta National and Madison Square Garden are the places that I just feel different. I've been fortunate enough to go to both. And, and when I went to, to the Masters in 1997 when Tiger won his first ever major championship. And, I mean, the hype was there. We knew the guy was or the kid. He was a kid at the time, but he just hit it 50 miles. I mean, it didn't, I mean I'm not a golf – once again, I don't understand when he hit a gap wedge. And I mean, I got buddies of mine who can advise me on this. And, um, and I start drinking and don't get, you know, lose interest <laughs> in it. Um, but but it, you don't have to be a genius to watch somebody swing a club and hit it 20, 30 yards further than anybody else and say, guy's got a chance to be good. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, I mean that, that isn't hard to, to deter. When I went to the Final Four as a Gamecock fan, excuse me, the Elite Eight, as a Gamecock fan in Madison Square Garden, there's a wall in Madison Square Garden that speaks of the history of Madison Square. It's not a building in New York. It's a part of our DNA, the Republican National Convention from Madison Square Garden, the Democrat National Convention, Frazier Ali from Madison Square Garden, the Rolling Stones in Madison Square Garden. You see where I'm headed? Now, now, now Madison Square Garden has been a lot of things at a lot of different times. It's in the Big Apple. When, when someone said, someone texted me to d- the day we went to the Elite Eight, and, I mean, we couldn't believe it because we were kind of so-so that year. I had a good player in Cendarius Thornwell, but someone texted me and said, hey, man, can you believe we're going to the Elite Eight? I said, no, brother, we're going to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> we're going to the Big Apple. I mean, you know, you knew it was going to be a bigger deal because it was Madison Square Garden. That's where Frazier and Ali fought. That's where Queen had one of its last American, I think the last American concert. That's where the Stones have played 23 times. That's go ahead where, and say it. I mean, that's where Springsteen there you played go. 11 shows in 16 days. Who you wanted to say well, I mean, he played 11 shows in 16 days, man. I mean, that's pretty bizarre. He, he schedules a show at Madison Square Garden. It sells out in nine minutes. So he says, hell, let's play another one. It sells out another one, another one. I mean, the guy, you know, he's printing money. We'll play medicine. I mean, can, yeah, we don't have anything planned. I mean, the hockey team's on yeah. the road. They he won't be sleep back in his until, own bed. Yeah, right? sleep in his own bed, drive across the river, and make a bunch of money. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that mm-hmm. 11 times in 16 days? And the garden was available. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the Madison Square Garden is famous for what? A lot of different things that we all remember. I mean, we remember Willis Reed, or if you're a sports fan, you do, you know, limping back on the court. But, but Augusta National has been able to – the exclusivity of the property. Bill Gates applied for membership and got turned down to begin with. I'm convinced had his name been Billy Ray Gates, he would have been accepted. <laughs> but it was Bill Gates from Seattle, Washington, tech uh, giant and guru. And I got to believe a lot of the board members at Augusta National said, he does what? Software? No, no, we can't let that guy in here. There's no telling what he'll how he'll corrupt this club. <laughs> uh, eventually they warmed up, and I think he's now – He's now a member, but, um, and, and, and Augusta national is because it's only two hours away. 
we know people, Rev, who played around at Augusta. We know people who may have badges at Augusta. We, we don't know anything. I mean, other than what we've read about Madison Square Garden, we don't live in Manhattan. We don't live in New York. We don't remember the Republican National Convention or the Democrat National Convention or the day Ali and Frazier ate in the restaurant across the street, uh, the day Frank Sinatra did a concert. And that, that would be more um, Northeast and New York Central. This is the South. And I think Augusta National is one of the, um, the holy cathedrals in all of sports. And it is Masters Week. And people who don't pay any attention to golf will pay attention this week. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 Couple of callers on the line. Let's go there. Here's Barry in Schrock. Morning, Barry. Hey, morning, guys. Uh, Ken, just think about the, the history in the South as far as golf. I mean, you got Pine, you know, Florence is close to Pinehurst. First golf uh, round was there in 1898, Donald Ross, uh, Florence Country Club, you know, uh, Donald Ross. And you got stuff, I mean, you got all over the South is history of golf. And Augusta, like you said, if if I had one round to play, if if I knew I was going to die yet, tomorrow would be Augusta. And you got Darlington Raceway with all the history of, of that. So we live in a great place in America. And I just... Sometimes we, we get caught up in politics, but we have to really be grateful of where we live at uh, when it comes to sports in America. So I just wanted to add that. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate that. And, I, yeah, Darlington yeah. Raceway is one of the holy cathedrals of, of NASCAR. Um, you know, I got a group text on Sundays, and we're talking about a lot of different things. Uh, I'm thinking of this couple of business guys, a couple of lawyers, former politicians. I mean, it's probably eight or nine of us on a group text, and about two of the nine watch the race. Three of the nine watch the golf. Two of the nine are watching a Shawshank Redemption rerun. <laughs> but but it's just interesting. I mean, Barry's right. There's a lot to be thankful for. I think Augusta National is a, is a southern treasure. I think Darlington International Raceway is an absolute southern treasure. Um, is golf a sport or a game? Or race car drivers, athletes? Mm. 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 I bet you were watching the race because you'll watch a car race. <laughs> you will. <laughs> you sound like, yeah, we, I've told Red before. <laughs> Someone will, uh, they'll, they'll talk to my wife and they'll say, Where, "Where's Daddy?" And he's this Sunday. He's watching that race. And one of my kids said, "Daddy loves a car race," because <laughs> they they look at it as um kind of a generation gone by. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of young NASCAR fans. I do. I still watch a car race. I don't miss I don't miss NASCAR at all. Let's go to the phone. Here's uh, Bert in Florence to join our sports discussion this morning. I'm sure. Hey, Bert. Oh yeah, I'm, I live and die for sports. <laughs> I would have never even heard. In fact, I never heard of Darlington or Augusta until I moved here. And just by happenstance, I ended up in in Darlington Raceway for a 4th of July thing. And somebody was freaking out about they were in Darlington. And I never heard of it. Never. I'm like, you know, that slap with Will Smith. I would have never even known that that event was going on had that not hit the news. I'm like that with sports. If you guys didn't spend all this time going on about sports, I, I, I have zero knowledge of it. Every once in a while you see like, uh, well, I forget his name, the golfer guy on the news. Tiger. Once in a while because he did, yeah, he, Tiger did something The golfer guy. Tiger did something horrible. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I've, the little bit that I've seen of him, I'm like, how is that not child abuse? 
You know, <laughs> racing to all he does is play golf his whole childhood. How's that not child abuse? And they complain about everything else. You know, how's that not? And it's a great thing. But I would know nothing about sports if it were not for you. And um, I guess I should thank you for that because it opens up a world that I really don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Bert. Thanks for the compliment. Yeah, thank you for the uh, for the backhanded. You know, I, I, I want to say something about Ukraine, though. Sure. I'm, I'm very I'm very upset about this. We we know the Bidens are in bed with Ukraine. We know Bidens are liars and cheats and all kinds of scam. We know Ukraine's been in on it with them. Why are we believing one ounce of news coming out of Ukraine? I mean, oh, now all these people have been tied up and executed. And, you know, I, I hear every time I hear that, they put the babies out of the incubator and threw them on the floor to die. It's ridiculous. I th- I think the whole thing is... Oh, I mean, I'm not saying nobody's dying. I'm sure they are. But I think 90% of what comes out of Ukraine is a big, fat stage show for all us all to scam us. Thank you, anyway. Bert. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, I'll look at it, and we'll touch on this in the next hour. Um, I am I am highly skeptical of the news coming out of Russia. Uh, I'm also highly skeptical of the news coming out of the uh, the Ukrainian, some of the Ukrainian press. I mean, you know, and some of the um, some of the American media reported, the Western world media reporting. I don't know which, what to believe. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit yesterday. So some of the atrocities. Um, w- what is the deal? What is the reality? What is the truth? Um, we know what it appears to be, but you got to be careful. Sometimes things aren't things aren't as they appear to be. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937, Wednesday morning edition of Wake Up Carolina. A couple of folks on the phone. Let's go there. Steve in Florence, good morning. Good morning, guys. Yeah, there is nothing like Wrigley Field, and I'm more of a Jordan fan than Larry Bird or Magic. That's where I grew up watching. But I was um, thinking about it. I've been here a year, and I just was trying to um, – thought came across my head. Why don't we have uh, – Major League Baseball or football in South Carolina. Steve, we're 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 the most populated state in America, but we don't have a major metropolitan area. Um, I would imagine some of the teams don't believe the critical mass of people are in close enough proximity to a stadium to support, you know, a, a professional sports franchise. I mean, York County. I mean, Charlotte has. I mean, Charlotte's blown up, and a lot of that uh, expansion and population explosion has come in York County and Lancaster County. But uh, we, we just, you know, it's a, it's a fast-growing state, but it doesn't have the critical mass of people in a centralized location. I would imagine for a uh, professional sports franchise to believe uh, the population there to support, a, you know, a team, whether it's basketball, baseball, or football. I'd like to do something in Florence. So I don't have to drive too far. But I don't want to go down to the beach either. Screw <laughs> that traffic. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. I mean, they kind of tried to want to make the Panthers Carolina's team as opposed to Charlotte's team. Um, I don't know how that. Well, how I mean, that you, but, but out. you've got two major college programs. You got, I mean, a state of five million people. A state, a state of three million people. It's now it's a state of five million, in excess of five million people. But you've got legacy built in at Clemson in South Carolina. I mean, Coastal's up and coming, no question about it. Francis Marion and Walford and Furman and all these other schools have uh, kind of a niche fan base. And, and you know, uh, Francis Marion's long enough now that a kid of a former graduate. Um, but the Gamecocks and Tigers are the dominant force in sports in South Carolina, um, and they kind of compete with one another. 
And I don't know that there's enough room in South Carolina. You know, it's still 5.1 million people. Atlanta has a sports franchise, but there's 6 million people in the greater Atlanta metropolitan area. So there's as many people, a little bit more, in the greater metropolitan Atlanta area than there are in the entire state of South Carolina. I, for one, and I want to be careful when I say this, I'm, I'm concerned about the growth in South Carolina, especially along the coast. Um, the reason the coast is so attractive and appealing is the quality of life. Some of the quality of life is um, indicated by kind of a laid-back southern way of living. And I think if you um, – I want to be careful here not insult anybody, but if you bring um, enough outside influences to the coast of South Carolina, you fundamentally change it. And I think that's happening whether it's in Little River or Buford and all places in between, I think you're seeing a, um, once again, in Ori County, let's use Ori as an example. The same number of people are being born in Ori that are dying. So there's a kind of a net neutrality there with new births, new deaths, but it's gaining 48 new people a day. Where are these people coming from? They're not coming from Florence. They're not coming from Orangeburg. They're not coming from Sumter. They're coming from New Jersey. They're coming from Cleveland. They're coming from uh, Massachusetts. They're coming from uh, New York. They're coming from places up north. And for a long time, we called them weather chasers. But when they come down here, there's a certain uh, precondition they have. There's a certain way of living that they're accustomed to. And we've always had this uh, kind of a struggle is, is the South going to change these people or are these people going to change the South? Um and there's kind of an adaptation period that, that um, percolates within. But, but yeah, I, mean, I, you know, I am one who is concerned that we're going to outpopulate or overpopulate the coast of South Carolina. And I think the beauty of the coast of South Carolina is a southern way of living. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Morning, Breeze. Kid, I ain't concerned. I'm pissed off. All right? About what they've done. I mean, they have destroyed the coast. This is nowhere near what it was when we were kids. So let's forget about that. I mean, it's, the coast is gone, brother. It is gone, gone, gone. Ain't no, it ain't nothing quaint or nothing about it. Okay, let's get that. I got that out the way. You know, um, I would be very curious to see with an election coming up, the thing we were talking about last week, when your Democrat buddies start coming up to you and asking for your vote coming up, I really want to know how they're going to vote on this idea of men competing against women in sports. Oddly enough, I have seen any women want to compete against men yet, if you know what I'm saying. Another thing I was looking at, I said, you know, we're supposed to be a Republican red state. But, you know, you brought up all these Republicans, so let me beat on them a little bit, too, while I'm beating on my Democrat buddies. These Republicans or running this state damn near like a Democrat state in a lot of ways. We're all proud. Oh, we're a red state. We're a red state. Well, you know, right now people are, you know, restaurants are sucking wind. You know, daggone, uh, the people are sucking wind going to the grocery store because, I mean, when you whatever you buy, you look at the tax on top of that. The gas station owner doesn't get the tax from the, the gas. And then you throw in these hospitality taxes and sales taxes and all the other crap when you try to go to a restaurant. Well, how about help the restaurants out a little bit? How about help the guy that's making minimum wage and has to drive 30 miles to go get a job at that gas station? How about while we cut some of these taxes that we have on grocery, you know, now grocery tax isn't quite as high, I don't believe, but like the restaurants and the gas, why can't we cut that for a while? 
And hell, we may even find that the tax might, the tax revenue may go up if we cut it a little bit. But at least maybe to give people some kind of a small incentive to go out to a restaurant if they know they are, you know, if they get some a little bit of a tax break, help the restaurant people out, and also help the people out with the uh, with the gas. Another thing I was sitting there thinking, I said, you know, with all this censorship we were talking about yesterday, and the reason you have censorship obviously is they don't they won't win elections. And they know that if they allow free speech and for us to speak our mind and get our word out, that they'll lose elections. So then I go to radio, and I wonder what the average age of your listener is, and I guess 55 to 80. <laughs> I doubt there's many people under 40 listening to it. I started listening to Rush Limbaugh at like 27 or 20, whenever he started. But I wonder what we can do to get more younger people involved in listening to conservative talk radio because that's really the only place you can get a real get 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 some free free uh, speech free right now talk radio is the only place that there's that free speech is allowed in this country so how can we get more young people to listen to what we're saying thank you breeze appreciate that that kind of plays into something that we touched on yesterday and i think this is I don't want to say it's the most interesting argument. The most the most important political story in America today is the Hunter Biden story. I mean, there is no question about that. What did Joe know and how much has Joe benefited? I mean, that, that is the question. And a grand jury asked a serious question yesterday about, you know, the big fella, who or the big guy, who is the big guy? Um, we hope they'll get to the bottom of it. Now, is an indictment pending? I don't have any idea. But I want to go back to what Bree said a second ago because we touched on this yesterday with this article I read in Bloomberg about the um, the zombie Reaganites and what the Republican Party needs to do to reinvigorate itself, to create a new um, wave of energy, younger people interested. Um, I guess the most uh, the thing that makes me most optimistic today is my middle kid. I mean, I refer to him as my hippie kid. I do that uh, in, in endearing fashion. Um, he's not your traditional Southern conservative. My, my oldest son, my youngest daughter, I mean, it, it's kind of easy to sort through where they are and what influences I've had. My middle kid, uh, I refer to him as my hippie kid. Rev's heard a lot of this. Uh, we talked about three weeks, four, maybe four weeks ago, and he said, Dad, um, Joe Biden and all of this nonsense is going to create a, a conservative wave amongst young people unlike any you've ever seen before. And I said, tell me more. Because once again, my middle kid is the one that reads more. He, try to, he tries to um, understand things at a little more complicated level than, than my oldest son or my daughter. Um, and, and, I, and I believe, and, and I got a couple of notes here on my sheet this morning, my rundown sheet. Um, what role does Elon Musk and Peter Thiel have? I mean, we know they're not Reagan zombie night. I mean, uh, Reagan zombies. Well, we know that. I mean, we, we, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there is such a thing as a Reagan zombie, but the, the zombie Reaganites is a reference to those Republicans generationally who have just said, we'll cut taxes and, and deregulate. We got this yeah, because, problem. I mean, that term you're not using is a compliment. No, it's not complimentary at all. It's meant to be derogatory. Right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, and the person who wrote the article is a Republican. And they're saying, we've got to. And I think Breeze is saying this. I mean, if we're, if we're a radio show attracting an audience north of 55, how can we attract an audience of 35? I mean, we think we do okay with the 35 and older crowd. I mean, we know we do. We get data. 
And some of these subsets of listeners are 35 and older, 35 and older male, uh, 35 and older making better than $75,000 a year. I mean, there, there are a lot of micro-targeting we do in some of these analysis, but but it's there, there's no denying that the majority of listeners to conservative talk radio are, are white male and over the age of 50. I mean, we know that to be true, not just this show, but but across the across the um, the listenership spectrum, so to speak. And um, and I think the way you make the product more enticing, more engaging, more fulfilling. I mean, if someone wants to enjoy and be entertained, you, you've got to make it entertaining. And I think talking about you know, well, I mean, anybody knows what we need to do: deregulate, and cut taxes. I mean, damn, we've been doing that thirty years. Why don't we do it? Need more more deregulation and more cutting taxes. I'm not arguing against deregulation. I'm not arguing against tax cutting. I mean, I, you know, I'm for cutting taxes and I'm for deregulation. But here's the question I'll ask our listeners, and I don't know the answer to this. I think a lot about it. Where is, where, where is Musk role? I mean, is, does Musk even have a desire to have a role in the Republican Party? You know what I say? No, I don't think he does. Does Peter Thiel? I think Thiel's um, more motivated than Musk about being, a, I don't think Thiel's an ideologue. I mean, I don't think he's a conservative. I think Thiel is a kind of a, um, an anarcho-capitalist. Someone who's always perpetually reconciling anarchy and capitalism. I think Musk is a libertarian. But but how what what can what can we gain by Musk being on our team in matters relating to citizenship? I mean, saw censorship. What can we gain by Teal? Whether they want to be um, rank and file Republicans or not, they bring a lot to the table. They bring a lot of money to the table. They bring a lot of IQ to the table. Name two um, friends of ours on several issues with more money and more IQ than Peter Thiel and Elon Musk. You're going to be hard-pressed. But what is their role here? I think Larry, I refer to Larry sometimes. Larry said a while back, and I'll never forget it because it didn't dawn on me until he said it. You know, what scares him about Thiel is Thiel can be anything he chooses to be because he's a billionaire. Musk can be anything he chooses to be because he's a billionaire. Are they true believers? I think Thiel's a true believer in this anti-globalism. I think Musk is a true believer in this anti-censorship. So, so in matters related to censorship and Twitter, who can do a better job in Washington than Elon Musk can in the private sector when it comes to fighting and articulating the dangers of China and global trade and not free and fair trade, um, free but not fair trade, who can do a better job than Peter Thiel? And I think that's what we've got to embrace. And uh, in some places, we're not going to find rank and file, you know, tax-cutting, deregulating Republicans. I have no idea where Teal nor must stand on tax cuts or deregulation. I got to believe that the libertarianism in both of those guys would put them more aligned with the way we see the world. But, but you know, we, we've historically looked in certain places for political movement leaders. And I think in this time, we have to look in a lot of different places and unsuspecting places and um, and maybe, just maybe, a South African who made, you know, billions and billions in, in entrepreneurial innovation and electric cars and space explore, exploration and a guy who sold PayPal, who's a gay, you know, man from Silicon Valley. I mean, the, the, you see where I'm headed. I mean, the, those are not the sort of people we normally let be a part of creating an agenda or driving a political movement. And I think we're going to have to. I mean, my kid is much more interested in Elon Musk than he is Mitch McConnell. My daughter is much more interested in Peter Thiel than she is Chris Christie. 
But we've historically referred to these political voices because politics is different than business. Okay, I accept that. It is different than business. But, I mean, we're really going to tell Teal, hey, thank you, but no thank you, because you're not uh, as big a tax cutter as we want you to be. You're not as big a deregulator as we want you to be. And Musk in the same form and fashion. I mean, we believe that China's a threat. We believe that censorship is problematic. Who's better at China than Teal? Who's better at censorship than Musk? Maybe, they, maybe they're Republicans. Maybe they aren't. But I think this political movement is going to have to include Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, and a lot of factions and forces that, that aren't that ideologically driven. Let's go to the phone. Here's Rick in Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Rick. Hey, good morning. Hey, Rick. Now, I was just going to go a little light back up to what you said earlier. I've never heard the term weather chaser. We used to call them snowbirds, <laughs> but I think you have just redefined that old joke. What's the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee? Because <laughs> a Yankee comes down, spends his money, and leaves. A damn Yankee stays. Chasing that weather. That's right. Okay. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. I mean, you know, and I'm not, I'm not insulted at all by, by Northerners moving down here. Um, and it is what it is. But when you have a, a a mass infusion of people who aren't, uh, I don't want to say, uh, South Carolina's not in their bones, what wins out? Do, do you change South Carolina or does South Carolina change you? Now, Breeze is in Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant is a different animal. I'll, I'll give you an example of how I know Mount Pleasant is different than Horry County. Mount Pleasant's in Charleston County. Trump's approval in Charleston County votes Republican voters, Rev. 68, 69%. Mm-hmm. Trump's approval to most Republican voters in Horry County, nearly 90%. So there is some difference there. That there There's a, a level of eclectic in, in, uh, in, in Charleston, cosmopolitan in Charleston. A lot of skinny jeans and poodles in Charleston. Not quite as many skinny jeans, and I'm talking about men, and poodles <laughs> in, um, in Horry County as there are in, um, in Charleston. So, yeah, the, the coast is changing, no question about it. Uh, the good Lord, for whatever reason gave South Carolina an abundance of natural resources called the beach. Um, it's hard to goof that up. We kind of did for a long time, but we've uh, we've marketed and branded uh, the, the coastal areas of South Carolina, and it is going to change. I mean, th- th- there was a day in my life not too long ago when you went to Pauly's Island in November or December, and nobody was down there. Now you got to wait in line for 20 minutes at everywhere you go. And, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a car in front of me at Starbucks with an Ohio State license plate. There's a car behind me with a New England Patriot front license plate. Um, there, there's a there, there's a car, two cars ahead of me at McDonald's or wherever, you know, that um that has a, a, a University of Pennsylvania or Penn State University. Uh, and, and, you know, the flags and the banners and the mailbox wrappings and, and all these other sorts of things. Um, but it's a reality. I mean, it's, it's changing historically in South Carolina. When we went on the air, when we started this show, I remember one day saying that South Carolina is the 27th most populated state in America. I think it's 22nd or 23rd today. It's no longer a small backwoods southern state. It's just not. I mean, it's a very complex, um, diverse, um, enticing, inviting state. And um, and I've tried to express some of the concern I have about, you know, the, um, the centralizing of political power. Um, the fact that Horry County is growing so fast, Charleston County is growing, excuse me, so fast, Greenville County growing so fast, 
and we centralize all this political representation in the hands. And that's why I'm kind of a um, – I love to see somebody uh, revisit Sims and Reynolds and this lawsuit that um, that struck down the Alabama Constitution allowing for one senator in one county. I think we need to really and truly engage in some sort of litigation or, or, or politi- I don't the politics. I don't know how this would work itself out. Um, there's an amendment to the Constitution that disallows Sims – and it goes back to the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause, and one man, one vote. We, we don't allocate political power by the number of acres or the number of cars or the number of, of pine trees. We do it by, uh, you know, and that goes back to the 14th Amendment, Equal Protection Clause. But I still believe that South Carolina is going to be um, more fairly governed if each county had a single senator. I seriously believe that. But, um, I mean, I, that's me hypothesizing and, and theorizing about what I wish were were the case, um, maybe Elon Musk can figure that out as soon as he finishes uh, with uh, with Twitter. Let's take a break. We'll come back on the other side and take our, our call. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Rujan in the PD. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Ken, you say you're optimistic. I am absolutely <clears throat> ecstatic. Uh, Ken, I've got, I've got uh, five younger brothers, and, and, and out of out of all five of them, every last one of them has been a, you know, staunch Democrat. But I had one call me yesterday, absolutely livid. I mean, he was just, I mean, he used just about every expletive in, <laughs> in the dictionary. <laughs> and he, he just told, flat up told me that I am no longer a Democrat. I am straight up dedicated Republican from now on. And I'm like, well, what, what happened? <clears throat> I, there was a few things that happened with, uh, friend of his just turned, you know, 59, so he had to take a 401k dis- uh, disbursement, and they charged him quite a bit on that money. And on top of that, he drives a, an F-250 pickup truck, cost him near $250 to go ahead and get that thing gassed up. Uh, he went to, he went to, to one of the, one of the big, big box stores, and, and uh, he, Forgot his wallet, but he had the cash to pay for it. Said he had to stay in line for 20 minutes to get through the line, just to get, uh, just to get, you know, get checked out. Not to mention, not to mention, his house, the taxes on his house has gone up, and he's like, he's trying to figure out what the hell is going on with Joe Biden. Uh, the man can't can't put two sentences together, and when he does put them together, he says something stupid. So, he's, so I'm like, okay. Uh, he said that was that was the the straw that broke the camel's back. But I think a lot of people thought that they, what they're going to get, you know, because uh, you had Reagan, uh, and then you had you know you had Bill Clinton. That's what they thought they were going to get with Bill Clinton. But uh, I mean, with, uh, with 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 Joe Biden, but it's just not it's just not happening. He's not a Clinton. Uh, I would venture to say he's he, he's worse than Carter. But, uh, you know, my brother's getting hit pretty hard in the pocket. He lives down in a major metropolitan area in, in, uh, in Georgia. Uh, like I said, he's getting hit hard in the pocket, and he's starting to see some things, and it just is not looking very good, very promising to him. So he's like, I- I'm done with him. I am absolutely done with him. So, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's happening. It's happening. But, uh, but uh, the only thing the Democrats can do is blame themselves. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate that. The point I want to make, okay, I, and I agree with all that. I mean, I think there is remorse. I mean, when you saw Biden yesterday at the event at the White House, I mean, it's it, it's it's sad. stunning. I mean, it's, it's sad stunning. and embarrassing. I mean, it's it's scary. 
I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, it's sad and embarrassing from an optical perspective, but the inner workings of government. This guy is the president of the United States. And that's part that's dangerous. And, and what I've always argued, I think was on full display yesterday, I've said that Obama and his acolytes are running the country. I mean, this has nothing to do with Biden. I mean, they convinced Biden to hide. They told he and Jill, hey, Jill, if you keep him in the House, we'll figure out a way to win this thing. I mean, there enough, there, there's enough animus toward Trump. And we believe there's some um, some money out there that may be raised that can um, kind of tweak the election outcome a bit. Um, so if you can keep Joe locked up and alive, we'll win this thing for him, but he's not going to be the president. I mean, he's just not going to be the president. Nobody believes he's up for being president of the United States. And I think that was on full display yesterday. You know, what's interesting to me, all my Democrat friends talk about now is Trump. You know, the investigation with Ivanka. The, Ivanka spent, what, four hours yesterday or the day, uh, one day last week, I think, meeting with the January 6th committee. Jared Kushner uh, met as well. Um, the biggest story out there today, Rev, is Hunter Biden. I mean, this is going to be a blockbuster if the media chooses to pursue it. I mean, this you're going to see exactly what corruption looks like. Um, but will they pursue well, it? Well, I mean, that, 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 to some degree. Uh, Jeff, uh, excuse me, um, Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd had Hillary Clinton on the air Sunday morning on Meet the Press. Never asked her about the DNC, the fine they had to pay. Never asked about being complicit. I mean, we know now. I mean, there, there's no question now the Clintons were responsible for the argument of Russia collusion. The narrative of Russia collusion was a concoction by the Clinton um, campaign. We know that to be true. Um, Sussman's trying to get some of the text messages um, disallowed into the the legal proceedings that they're having. We know the Clintons were behind that. We know Bill and Hillary, the political prostitutes they are, were trying to do anything they could um, to, to stop Trump from getting elected, and they would have done the same thing had they were running against Trump as Biden did. But, but the scary, it's not scary, Rev, as much. I mean, it is scary, but it's stunning that we are a nation with, with, with power and might unequal to any other nation in the world, and this is the guy wandering around a stage. I mean, the president of the United States should be the center of attention, and a coherent president is always the center of attention. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but, but you need to Google it if you've not. And, and watch Joe Biden... Um, just try to get Barack Obama's attention. I mean, he's the president. Um, Biden, excuse me, Obama's the former president, but everybody, well, I mean, Obama's a deity. I mean, I'm convinced of that. He didn't, um, he didn't drive to the White House. He appeared at the White House. I mean, he doesn't play by the rest of the rules. He's a, um, a savior from you know where. But, but Obama is on the stage and it's captivating. I mean, everybody's talking to Obama. Everybody wants to shake his hand, and everybody wants to say how much they miss you. And Obama's basically there to inspire these people to do their job and finish the work that he started, despite this um, incoherent old man uh, as president. But everybody knows this. Democrats know this. They know Joe Biden is completely and totally incoherent and in serious cognitive decline. Anybody that doesn't know that are just being, they're, they're not being intellectually honest. I mean, they're just not leveling with themselves. Now, you can say, and I probably respect this to some degree, you can say, you can say he is incoherent. He is in cognitive decline. He's not making many of the decisions, and they're kind of leading him around, but he's better than Trump. 
I mean, I, I, I don't agree with that, but I, but I have some respect for someone who would say that. But to try and argue that Joe Biden has his wherewithal, he understands exactly what's going on, he understands the daily responsibilities of being the American president, it's obvious yesterday. Google, Google um, Obama visiting the White House. I don't know how you'd find the, the, the tape, but it's, it's, um, it's stunning how little people are paying attention to the president of the United States when a former president's in the room. The president of the United States in all situations and circumstances commands the room. It's never in question. The sitting president is the, the guy. And it's obvious with Obama in the room, and had Trump been in the room, it would have been the same way. I mean, all the attention would have been on Trump. Why? Because Biden is a feeble, old, incoherent man that doesn't mean tweet. And I guess that's the, that's the bar that the Democrats have set for themselves. Um, but, but you're beginning to see, and the reason uh, Obama goes yesterday is to kind of inspire some of these acolytes that are embedded in the White House. Hey, just keep, you know, keep doing your work. You know, the, these transgender issues are important. This climate change is the issue that'll save our lives. I mean, you know, he's just trying to give it a pep talk. And, and Joe, I wonder, actually, why, wonder why the Biden uh, loyalist didn't understand this was coming, that, you know, you invite President Obama into the White House, and he's going to steal the attention to make your guy look weak. It's damned if you do and damned if you don't. I don't think they had any choice. I think the morale at the White House is so low. Harris is not smart. Biden is not coherent. And we're trying this ambitious um, agenda. You know, the new Green Deal. We're going to rework. I mean, COVID and some of the... um. So some of the restrictions and requirements we're making in the private sector in relation to, I mean, it's bizarre what we're trying to do when a man doesn't have the capacities. So I think the reason, I think the White House was well aware, Reb, of the um, the star power that Obama brings when he shows up, but they had no choice. They've got to inspire these acolytes and these minions who are there to do what? The, the country's business? No, to carry out this radical agenda. And, and they needed some sort of pep talk. Obama shows up gives the pep talk, and the sitting president of the United States had no clue where he was and how to garner any attention. And, and you're right, it is sad to some degree, but it's stunning more than anything that some people rationalize that. I mean, they're probably listening to my voice right now saying, that's eh, still better than Trump. Wow. Let's go to the phone. Here is Williams. Good morning, Williams. Hey, good morning, Ken. Um, I don't understand how you say Hunter Biden is the biggest story than January 6th. You, you had a guy try to overthrow the government, overthrow democracy. How in the hell is that more important than that? You had people die since Civil War fighting for democracy. Ain't no way in the world that 100 miles don't mean nothing to me. I don't care about 100 miles. I care about you know, I care about this country doing the right thing. And one more thing before I go, okay, they had a they interviewed Trump daughter for eight hours yesterday. Eight hours. Have a good day. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure she was um a very complicated witness. I mean, Ivanka Trump's a smart lady. She's been successful in the private sector. Um, she sat down with the January sixth committee. Um, I'll give Williams this. Um. The January 6th committee is doing its work. Fair enough. I mean, I, I think it's a 
It's a hackish way to go about getting to the bottom of something because the speaker said, uh, we want Republicans on the committee, but we only want the Republicans that I want on the committee. It's a witch hunt. Williams that knows it. it. I know. It's a sham. I mean, it's a witch hunt and a sham. But let's give the January 6th um, committee its due. Let, let's say, okay, we, we had a situation. Williams calls it an insurrection, uh, a coup to overthrow the government, an attempt to, to thwart the peaceful transition of power. I call it um, people getting a little bit out of control. Um, he said, you know, people lost their lives in the name of defending democracy. The only people that I know died at the scene is an unarmed lady named Ashley Babbitt. Uh, we do know that um, that a Capital City police officer died much later uh, of a stroke or some other sort of medical condition. But the only person that died as a result of direct conflict was an unarmed Trump supporter named Ashley Babbitt, who was killed by a Capital City police officer who still has his job and has not been reprimanded in any way, shape, or form. But but let's let's give Williams his due. Let's say okay, the January Six Committee should proceed. And, and Ivanka Trump should have had to appear for six hours. And Jared Kushner should have had to appear for four hours because they're in the middle of it. And we need to know exactly what happened. I mean, I don't buy that. But for argument's sake, let's say, okay, let's do the same for Hunter Biden. I mean, if there's nothing to see here and the Biden family name is prestigious and pristine and preserved, then let's appoint a committee and let's get to the bottom of it. And there is some hard evidence that asks and raises some real questions. Th- th- there is unbelievable evidence you asked me uh, a couple of weeks ago, why are we not talking about Hunter Biden? And I said, this thing's getting ready to escalate. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I had somebody telling me that, um, and it's kind of an insider, and he said, hey, this thing's getting ready to really uh, escalate. If the Republicans win control of the Senate, there will be a full-fledged hearing in January of next year. I mean, there will be a January 6th committee sort of hearing in the Biden family business, and you'll find out, those of you that don't like Trump, that, that find him disgusting and repulsive, you'll find out who the real crook is. And it's not the Trump crowd. It's the Biden family. They have trafficked and transacted in the name of American government democracy in a way that very few have. Give the Clintons their due. They did start a foundation. But they tried to do it in uh, disguising themselves as altruistic. The Biden family, I mean, I'm telling you, that they, they are probably the most corrupt political family in modern American history, even more so than the Clintons. And I would argue, Rev, the reason the Clintons did it their way, they're just smarter. I mean, Bill Clinton's a bright man. Bill Clinton knew if he was going to fleece the government and peddle political power, he needed to do it in some formulated fashion or manner, and he did. He created the Clinton Global Initiative, and then they got rich. I mean, imagine that. We've talked about that before. You start a foundation, and then you get rich. Because after all, Henry Ford started the Henry Ford Foundation, and then he founded Ford Motor Company. Bill and Melinda Gates. That's I mean, how that works. Of course they started the foundation, and then they started Microsoft. That's mm-hmm. the way you do it uh, if you're a Clinton. The Bidens aren't smart enough to do it that way. They're, they're political hacks, they're political thugs, and they're political prostitutes. And they have trafficked and profiteered in the name of your American government. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. For all the crazy conspiracy theorists out there, there's a movie, a documentary, a 40-minute documentary that is released or will be released. I think the grand, uh, the preview, uh, I was going to say the grand opening, the preview will be at Mar-a-Lago um, sometime the next day or two or three. But the name of the documentary is, I mean, it's a, it's a movie maker activist named David Bossy. 
I mean, he's, he's got a history with Trump, and he's got a history with Republican politics. The name of the documentary, Rigged, the Zuckerberg-funded plot to defeat Donald Trump. He goes into great detail and, and specificity about some of the things we've talked about in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Those three states, from what I've gathered and some of what I've read, are the um, kind of the highlights. You can They set up a website. You can go to the website, pay four ninety nine, and watch the movie, or you pay nineteen ninety nine and get a movie. Or excuse me, go you get access to the movie on the website, and they send you a hard copy of a DVD. So for those out there um, who have questions and concerns still about the twenty twenty presidential election, they've actually condensed it into about a forty minute documentary that they believe explains uh, where the Zuckerberg money went, how it was facilitated. Um, in the name of um, giving more help to a local election commissions all over the country. I mean, that's kind of what we were told. Zuckerberg felt sorry for these election officials, oh. and he wanted to better fund them so they'd have more, um, you know, vans. And uh, anyway, I mean, it was— oh, How nice of him. Well, I mean, yeah, how nice <laughs> of him without question. So um, it's interesting to me that liberal world is in an uproar this morning um, because Elon Musk is now board member— and he has 12.2, uh, excuse me, 9.2% of all and did you see Twitter they, stock. They struck an agreement with Musk that he wouldn't buy more than, I think, 14. 14.7%. Yeah. yeah, he can he can own 14.7%. I think Bongino was wrong yesterday. I mean, I, you know, I've listened to Bongino a little bit lately, and I think he was dead wrong. He said Musk owns the entire company because if he sells his stock, if he liquidates the, the, the price of the stock tanks, well, it does in the short run. There's no doubt about it, but... um. I mean, a lot of these guys, Rev, their personal wealth is tied up in stock options. Why would you rather have a stock option than a salary? Well, I mean, taxes. You know, if you're a high-income earner, your marginal tax rate or effective tax rate is going to be much higher than um, short or long-term capital gains. So if you're a um, if you're a, uh, a high, say you had a, cor- a corner office at Twitter and you're one of the senior vice presidents and you're making, you know, half a million dollars a year, you would rather that income be dispersed uh, via stock options. Now, there's a chance the stock tanks. And that's what Bongino was arguing, that because Musk owns such a substantial amount of stock, those in the corner offices have to really uh, be considerate of what he has to say because their their wealth is tied up in Twitter stock. And the um, let's say you got a, you got a million-dollar-a-year compensation package and 50% of that million dollars is made up in stock options – and the stock is on uh, $50 a share, Musk sells all of his shares, and it goes down to $20 a share. I mean, you've taken a serious financial hit, especially if you've done that for a number of consecutive years. I mean, you're getting the tax benefit of being taxed at capital gains rates instead of, you know, effective or marginal tax rates, but but you're still playing a game. And uh, if you get the, the paycheck, the paycheck is the paycheck is the paycheck. The stock option is... Is not the stock option. Is not the stock option. The stock could be fifty bucks one day, sixty bucks the next, and and twenty five that Friday. So there's some risk associated with that. But um, but Bargino tried to argue that because he owns nine point two percent of the company, he owns the entire company. Because if he were to liquidate, everybody in every corner office at Twitter would be just devastated. Well, they would for a week or two or three. I mean, short term they would be devastated. But, but you got to believe somebody would buy the stock and it would reestablish its value and its market cap would be about what its market cap is today. Um, I think political activism 
is what they're most nervous about. It's not that they're concerned about him liquidating and controlling so much of the um, the money the folks in the corner offices have at Twitter, but how politically active is he going to be? Um, what are his motivations? And um, and I, I pose this question. I think we could have a show, an entire show about this. The, the, how much can we, the rank-and-file Republican, trust people like Teal and Musk? I mean, do we have to trust these people? Um, what do they bring to the table, other than an enormous amount of money? That, that's just kind of an, I mean, I, I just think there's so much to chew on with Musk and Teal being so involved in things that we care about. I didn't say our political party, but in things that we care deeply about. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Want to shift gears. Let's leave Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and Mark Zuckerberg alone for just a second. These tech gazillionaires who are meandering into the world of politics, they are beginning to um, really exert some of the influence. And a lot of the influence comes from having a lot of money. I mean, if money's the mother's milk of American politics. If you've got billions and billions and billions of dollars, guess what you are? You're a big deal in that world. I want to shift gears and go to a local issue. And this is kind of, um, I'm taking a bit of a chance here, but I got a text late last night, um, late for me, 832, from a, uh, from a friendly in law enforcement that said, and I quote, I want to read it verbatim, two arrested after approximately $3.4 million worth of cocaine found in Florence County drug bust. Uh, this is the sheriff's office that made the drug bust, made the confiscation, made the arrest, $3.4 million worth of cocaine. Um, and then he added a note, or she added a note, or they added a note. I'll let you wonder who it is. FYI, FC Magistrate, Florence County Magistrate, released these two subjects on a $50,000 bond. This is the battle law enforcement faces every single day. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing, you know, the sentencing and the crime problem in, you know, in Florence? I mean, we can't speak about South Carolina because we don't know. I don't live in, in Berkeley County. I don't live in Greenville or Horry County. Um, I see statistics, but I think we've accepted that we've got a crime problem here in our area and law enforcement, I believe, is doing all it can to try and enforce and keep us. I mean, their, their objectives are to protect and, and uh, protect and uh, what is serve. it? Yeah, sir, protect and serve. I was going to preserve. I'm going to uh, protect and serve. So while they're doing that, um, they come across $3.4 million worth of cocaine. Uh, they make the arrest, and these people are already out on $50,000 bonds. Wow. I mean, that's bizarre to me. Um, are, there, are there sentencing guidelines? What sort of sentencing guidelines? Who can, who can um, affect change when it comes to how we're dealing with crime? Because I'm telling you guys, if someone sells or has $3.4 million worth of cocaine, they don't need to post a bond of fifty grand and be out on the street the next day. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. But um, but once again, law enforcement feels as if they are at the mercy. I sent back a text and I said, that's sad and stunning. And he said, yes, it is. I mean, it's really disturbing. And, and, and I just I think we all need to be aware of this is not a problem, by and large, with law enforcement. I mean, these, these young men and women and old men and women uh, of all ages, they're doing all they can to try and um, arrest the bad guys and put the bad guys in jail. But we have this movement in America. I mean, we were convinced, and I've kind of bought into some of this at one, one time, Rev. These nonviolent offenders, they don't need to be incarcerated for years and years and years. Um, I remember in my time on county council, 
we had someone who wrote bad checks and they'd been in jail for 311 days. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, that just doesn't make, but $3.4 million worth of drugs ain't like writing a bad check. I mean, at what point in time does a drug offense become a violent offender? I mean, where does the $3.4 million of drugs lead and how many people get addicted? How many people commit crimes as a result of that? And I think we got to revisit some of these sentencing guidelines. Law enforcement will tell you, city and county, both state and federal, will tell you the majority of crimes are committed because of some sort of drug addiction. Well, if that's the reality and somebody is um, trying to put $3.4 million worth of drugs on the street and they're bonded out at fifty grand. I mean, isn't that a violent offense? I mean, if the product you're putting into the economy leads to more and more crime, more and more violence, I mean, at what point in time do we look at the drug dealer in a fundamentally different way? I mean, I get the person who um, didn't pay his alimony or, or child support. I mean, I understand that guy's not a violent person. I mean, he isn't obeying the law when there has to be a consequence for obeying the law. But there's a lot of difference in somebody not paying child support, not paying um, alimony, and, and trying to sell $3.4 million worth of drugs, and we bond those guys out, and ladies, at fifty grand. come on. I mean, we should demand better of the, the judicial branch of government, which tries to help, or maybe not, some of the law enforcement agencies that have the toughest job out there. Let's go to the phone. Angela in Florence. Good morning, Angela. You're on the air. Good morning. So I can almost... 99% sure tell you who that magistrate was. Um, yes, we need better, um, you know, sentencing guidelines and everything, but we also need better magistrates. Um, just like we are dealing with the um, Supreme Court justice doing less than the minimum for sexual predators, um, we have that same issue here in Florence County with um, some of our magistrates, especially one. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's an issue. That's an issue. And nobody seems to be able to do anything about that. And I don't, I don't understand why. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So there's a particular magistrate. Uh, I don't know who it is. Don't have any idea. I've never delved into that. Maybe we should do a better job of getting to the bottom of, um, you know, that's a big deal. I mean, a magistrate. I mean, the, 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 most of those folks are dealing with petty crimes and break-ins. And, I mean, it matters. I mean, a break-in is not a big deal unless it's your home. I mean, a break-in of your home is a big deal. A break-in of your neighbor's home, not quite such a big deal. But I think we all can conclude that someone with $3.4 million worth of cocaine needs to be looked at a little bit differently than petty larceny or child support mm-hmm. or writing a bad check. And I understand the 50 grand is a, is a big number, but it's per problem. I mean, we, we don't have bonds works. I mean, a certain percentage of the money has to be put up. Um, that, that's just, I mean, that, that's egregious to me. And it, it, it's not proper sentencing. It is not the way um, the judicial branch of government needs to support law enforcement. May, maybe we need to look at the way we appoint magistrates. I mean, maybe there needs to be a revisiting of that criteria. How do we know whether they're doing a good job or not? Who holds a magistrate accountable in Florence County, Sumter County, Orangeburg County? We spoke earlier this week about judgeships, and I think my formula is fairly reasonable. I mean, I had a couple of people say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. What I would propose on judges, and maybe we do the same with magistrates, let, let a governor appoint a judge 
The judge uh, goes before a screening or review committee. The, the, the candidate is deemed competent, responsible, and, um, and qualified to do the job. And then the General Assembly votes on said candidate. The candidate is a judge for 10 years, and they can run for one more term. They can run for two 10-year terms. And after 20 years, they're off the bench and someone else goes through the same process. Um, the governor needs more executive authority. And, 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 you know, the, the governor, it's a Republican governor, Democrat governor. I mean, it doesn't matter. They, they've, got a, they've got a job to do, and their job is to go out and find a qualified, competent candidate. They do that. That candidate goes before screening committee. The screening committee doesn't decide what their judicial philosophy is. Or are they qualified? Are they competent? Are they qualified? Once they are, the General Assembly votes for a 10-year term of which they can— re- Maybe we need to do something similar to that with, with magistrates around the state of South Carolina. To be honest with you, Rev, I don't know how that works. I mean, I I can't imagine that someone having $3.4 million worth of cocaine goes before a magistrate anyway. I mean, why not a judge? What what is the difference? Somebody explain to me. When do you go before a judge and when do you go before a magistrate? And and talk about the leeway. You know, what's the judgment called? Yeah, what sort of um, criteria goes into... Um, allowing a guidelines. judge or their guidelines is there criteria that the uh the, the judge or magistrate has to uh I, we need to address some of this because i think we all have agreed uh, most of us have agreed we've got a crime problem and it seems to me that we have aggressive law enforcement i want to i want to advocate for tj joy tj joy is a lawman tj joy has no interest in the politics of of the county i mean he has no interest in i mean obviously he wants his budget to be like his budget needs to be so he can hire the qualified staff and take care of his staff the the manpower and i'm mean figuratively not literally please please stop with that i understand there are a lot of dedicated females who work at the sheriff's office but i'm sure of this we have a competent professional law enforcement officer heading up our sheriff's department but he needs help i mean we need some of these bad guys and bad ladies to be sentenced in a way that doesn't allow them to be back on the street doing the same thing the very next day. Let's go to the phone. Here is Suzanne. Good morning, Suzanne. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, I just want to let you know, um, and I don't know how much of this is out in the community, but, you know, there have been, um, you know, drug distributor trucks that have been hijacked, um, shot, people have been shot at in the state. Um, you know, trying to get pharmaceuticals that are delivering to hospitals and drugstores because people are after their narcotics. And I don't know if people know that's going on or not, but it'd be interesting to know what law enforcement has to say about it. I don't know if we realize just how dangerous, you know, what's going on. Suzanne, I've heard, thank you for the call. Appreciate that. I've heard that from a lot of others, and they've asked me to not talk much about it. Because it'll, it'll, it'll freak you out. It'll make you afraid. But I've heard from a lot of people in the know that it is far more dangerous out there than you ever imagined. There, there are things happening in our community that you wouldn't ever imagine are happening in our community. And the reason it's being snuffed out is for fear of how nervous people will be. They'll demand more action instead of inaction. They'll demand a higher degree of sentencing. Uh, if you knew some of the things that were going on in your community, you would think very differently about your community, but some of the people in charge don't want some of these things discussed for fear of the public demanding that we do more. And um, and once again, I just believe sincerely 
that we have people in law enforcement today that want to keep you safe, that understand first and foremost, it's their job to make sure that you're kept safe. And these, these folks who make decisions on sentencing, whether it's a judge, a solicitor, a magistrate, I don't have any idea. You know, when you go before, what is the involvement of a solicitor? When is a solicitor involved? When is it a judge? When is it a, a magistrate? I don't have any idea what distinguishes one from the other. Maybe we can get somebody on this show to better clarify that. But, but the problem, I don't believe, is with law enforcement. I mean, I think they are very dedicated to trying to keep this community safe. It just seems the, 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 the impediment or the, the disconnect is when they go before a, a person who gives a sentence. Once again, uh, whether it's a judge or a magistrate, I don't have any idea what distinguishes you going before one and another. But I get this text late last night that, um, that, that basically says $3.4 million worth of cocaine confiscated and the person was let out by a magistrate, a Florence County magistrate, on a $50,000 bond. We've got to do better than that. You deserve better than that. When law enforcement figures out a way to confiscate and arrest those kinds of people, we don't need them back on the street the very next day. That's an asinine. That's an asinine storyline and something we must demand better of. Um, yeah, maybe I can reach out to some of the um, some of the friends I have in law enforcement to, to better understand when you go before a judge, when you go before a magistrate, what are the solicitor's responsibilities, and, and why are some of these, I mean, to me, $3.4 million worth of cocaine, that's, that's kind of a violent offense yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Let's go to the phone. Here is Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So if I remember correctly, trafficking cocaine under statute is a violent offense. So that person is treated like a violent offender when it comes to uh, sentencing. Um, I'll, uh, when we talk about holding these magistrates accountable, well, we can't because we, they're appointed by our senators. Well, the senators have pigeonholed themselves in the districts that are going to keep getting reelected in. So, you know, Florence County is beholden to senators who, who are not, going to be Republican senators. They're all going to be Democrat senators. This magistrate they're talking about is appointed by a Democrat senator. So there's no accountability. There's no way to hold anybody accountable until we go back to what we did before, which is elect magistrates. Because that way, when we elect our magistrate, then you can can hold that person accountable. And I, I hear your, your theory on we got to remove politics from it. Well, we got to well, we can't have them on billboards. What what other scenario is there? It is, I mean, if it's government, it's politics. So there's no way to remove politics at all from this scenario. Um, and yeah, I'd like to see a billboard of a magistrate saying, "I'm going to hold offenders accountable." I, I don't I don't understand why that's such a bad thing. Um, uh, and it's it's just like this scenario um, right here in front of you. Um, but when it comes to um, what goes in front of a general sessions court judge and what goes in front of a magistrate, um, everything's going to go in front of that magistrate, but some stuff they're required to de- deny bond on, and then it goes in front of a general sessions court judge later. Um, but we got to elect magistrates. we got to start there. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Jim's been very pure in his stance there. I mean, I tried to offer up some sort of hybrid that I think is more conducive, more conductive than simply 
the General Assembly solely and, and alone, you know, doing the work. Uh, but, but I mean, Jim's very pure. I mean, he, he believes that's the best way, and I respect someone who believes something and willing to willing to say it. I need to do a better job of understanding, you know, how that legal system – I'm not an attorney. I've never been in a lot of trouble. The only time I've ever looked a judge in the guys was the day I resigned as lieutenant governor, and I had a campaign finance charge I had to address and, um, and kind of a, a plea bargain I had to go through. Still makes me mad that never stood before a judge in my life except when I got in, involved in politics. Wow. Uh, maybe I'll stop there. Let's go to the phone. Our next caller is Lisa. Good morning, Lisa. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you? Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I work for the U.S. Attorney's Office, and if if um, local officers are doing an investigation, I don't know the details of this um, bust. I don't know if they were investigating them and arrested them that way or if they just lucked out and came upon them. But if they are investigating and it can go federal, like if they have a gun there and they're a felon, felon in possession of a weapon is a federal charge, interstate, um, transportation of drugs as a federal charge, and they can hook up with local federal agencies to investigate cases, because I can guarantee you they would not be out on bond if it was federal. That's interesting. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate that. Man, this is um, such... Um, anything else to add, ma'am? I'm sorry. No, that was it. Okay, thank, thank you very much. Appreciate you calling. All right. Uh, All right. Uh, this guy is it's interesting to me that we have... These sorts of people listening to the show. I mean, that's kind of what you're encouraged by, Rev. Mm-hmm. I can tell, I, I can look in your face and, and tell, man, I like this. The I fact that somebody working with the U.S. court system is listening to this feeble attempt at Radio <laughs> Brain, it's probably for fear of something I may say. Look, I'm going to be respectful, and I, and I mean this sincerely. I'm not a journalist by any stretch of the imagination. I don't have any interest in being a journalist. But, but I've, I've created a lot of friendships over the years, and those friendships are very trusting and, and critical and important to me being able to do this this job. And when someone sends me a text, I mean, I can't read the text. There's no, there's, no, um, there's no dialect. There's no, um, you know, texts are, are sometimes misinterpreted because the, the emphasis was not on this word but that word. You can't articulate yourself via a text. But when I read this, that there was a certain um, sense of frustration that, that, that I knew was there. I mean, there, there's no, this law enforcement agent is basically saying to me, I can't believe they're doing this, man. I mean, I can't believe here we are again. We, we arrest and confiscate $3.4 million worth of cocaine. And some member of the judiciary, which is a magistrate, says, um, here's a slap on the wrist. Now, I don't know where it leads from here. Don't have any idea. I mean, I, I would imagine there's a trial pending. There are official charges. But, but we, we just, judiciary has to support law enforcement in a better fashion locally than it is. And, and maybe the answer is, as Jim says, you know, being able to hold these magistrates accountable and judges accountable via the ballot box. Um, that concerns me, but this concerns me even more. The fact that we do have someone who had the authority and felt compelled to release someone on a $50,000, and I would imagine, what, 10%? I mean, they probably had to come up with 500 bucks, uh, 5,000 bucks, $3.4 million worth of cocaine. Can you come up with five grand to meet bond and get out of jail? We, that, that, that's a flawed system. That's a disastrous opinion. And, uh, and, and here we are. Let's go to the phone. Our next caller is Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Hi, good morning. Uh, I, 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 I hear this over and over again, um, uh, 
about things like, uh, well, uh, you know, you, can, you don't want to get politics in it. Well, if you anywhere you get three or three or more people in the room, politics is going to happen sooner or later. That's it. That's just the way people work. But uh, I do think we have a we need to have some checks and balances, definitely. But uh, that, that that's a ridiculous. But you know, let somebody out like that with five thousand dollars. That's uh, what you would say. Chump change, I guess, is what you would call it. But that's uh, that 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 is concerning. But we've let people take over our corporations, our very government, our judicial system, and run it. That uh, they 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 don't have our best interest at heart. They don't have the country's best interest at heart. They don't have the culture's best interest at heart. And I I mean that by not just one culture, but I mean they don't want a lawful nation, and we need to be uh, reasonably lawful. And by that, not making so, on uh, so many uh, laws that nobody can follow them all, but something like that, trafficking a dangerous drug like co- cocaine, then that large amount that is concerning. You turn you turn somebody loose like that. And I think uh, that needs to be dealt with along with our other uh, errant leaders, I would say, and corrupt leaders, it appears, in some points. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. We'll follow up. Uh, another call. No, we, let's take a break. I mean, we're behind a bit now. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a second. 843-661-0937. couple of callers lined up. Let's go there. Here is Steve in Florence. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys, I want to jump in on this cocaine thing because I read that. I think that was like 29 kilos of coke. It was like a six-month supply for Charlie Pe- Sheen to put that in perspective. Um, but the best advice I can give the police in Florence County and, you know, our, you know, in Florence is actively pull people over. You don't have to write them a ticket, but making a stop lets you look around. That's how we cleaned up kind of my area where I was at back home in Aurora, I just hired more police. We paid them more. Like I, the police here don't get paid nothing. I'm making more than they are driving a truck and I don't require getting shot at on a daily basis. So I, I feel kind of bad about that. I think they should get paid a little bit more, but active stops would solve a lot of problems and jump on the internet. You can Google some of these ladies of the night, go bust those girls too. Cause they're, shoveling that crap out the door too thank you steve appreciate that um kind of an interesting to tie this into law enforcement pay and you know uh making law enforcement a better career that there's a there's a big discussion to be had um here the one thing that that is dawning on me and and i and i mean this sincerely and i don't know how to fix this unless well collectively we can come up with a plan to move forward we are an opinion radio show we're conservative talk radio. Now, some would argue we're not conservative enough. Some would say we're too conservative. Some say we talk about the Masters and the Gamecocks too much, and we t- p- poke fun at the – I mean, okay, fair enough. Uh, we're a lot of different things on a lot of different days. But the one thing this community lacks, and a lot of this goes to some of the um, some of the rural-urban divide, is, is serious news. I mean, we live in a news desert. In, in 2004, when I got elected to county council, there was a dedicated reporter. I mean, there was basically a beat reporter that covered everything we did and held us accountable. 
and would call you after the meeting and ask you to explain why you voted this way. Now, this is before Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and all the way we disseminate information. Um, who do we trust? Who don't we trust? Was it a liberal media or conservative mind? There was no such thing as conservative media except Russell Limbaugh at the time. Well, I guess Fox News would have been uh, in, in, yeah, in its early days, in its infancy. But, but the, the, the only thing worse than the liberal media is no media. And if magistrates or law enforcement agencies are doing things that, that need to be explained and understood, then we need to engage in that debate. And I've told Rev, I just think there's an opportunity. I don't know how to do it. I don't have any idea how to do it because I'm not a reporter. I'm not a journalist. But, but we, you know, living in a news desert allows people to not be held accountable nor responsible for their decisions. And that's where we are. There's a consolidation of news. Um, we like to joke around on this show and say, you know, all the television stations went to the beach. Well, that's where all the people are. That's where the commerce is being transacted. That stands to reason. But the public pays a serious price when there is no honest media reporting. And, and I'm going to try to make a commitment here. I'm probably getting out of my lane, but I'm going to do it anyway. We need to dedicate a certain percentage of our resources on these local issues and hold people accountable. Despite not being the media and not having a journalism degree or being a reporter, somebody's got to do it. Because the only way we're having this conversation this morning is a friend of mine in law enforcement sends me a text last night. I mean, these are the probing questions that need to be answered by people in the media. If a magistrate or a chief magistrate are falling down on the job and not being held accountable, who's going to do it? And, and Rev, maybe, just maybe, that's a responsibility we're going to have to assume, and I'm more than willing. Let's go to the phone. Here's Bobby in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Hey, Bobby. Good morning, gentlemen. And that is exactly the problem here in Orangeburg. We have a news desert, and these politicians are never accountable. But on that point about the cocaine situation, this goes to exactly to the point that our legislator, Justin Bomberg, has pushed because he helped write the Sanders-Biden unity platform that calls for an abolition of cash bail. Interesting. Interesting. And, and I just noted two of our area's legislators voted against the Save Women's Sports Act, but the bigger concern I have, and I'm saying this because one of my classmates in my senior thesis at Carolina was a former Clemson athlete who lost his sport in Title IX cuts, and what's likely going to happen is that with this administration, they're going to tighten, tighten Title IX, where they're going to say, if you build a new high school, you cannot have boys' sports. You can only have girls' activities. They, they tried that in New York, and now they're going to try to tighten that. So the bigger issue is not just save Women's Sports Act. We also have to save boys' sports from being cut by these federal bean counters. Does anybody see that? I do. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. You know, I can tell you this. The reason the Gamecocks, we're talking about Gamecocks again, the reason South Carolina's made a big commitment to women's basketball behind the scenes, there's a belief that you're going to have to make a big deal about women's sports at some point in time. Woke corporations, uh, the political culture, uh, ESPN in particular. I mean, who, who owns ESPN? Disney. Disney. And, and they believe that the teams that – um, don't fight it, 
I don't want to say embrace it, but accept it as being a real part of where we're headed. Women's basketball will never supplant college football in South Carolina. I don't give a damn how hard Disney tries. I mean, that's just not going to happen. But but a lot of people, myself included, have said, I don't worry about the women's basketball team, but there are so many elements organized in support of that reality that you're going to have to be committed to some degree because ESPN is going to insist the federal government is going to insist certain state requirements are going to insist um, that you prioritize and make more important women's sports. Because I've complained to some of my friends on the USC Board of Trustees, why are we making that big a commitment to women's basketball when it doesn't make any money? And the response is always, um, trust us, that's where we're headed. We're being almost coerced into making women's sports a bigger deal. I'm going to hold my phone up here so Rev can see it. Um, somebody just sent me a picture oh. on the hood of a deputy sheriff's car. I mean, it's full of cocaine. I mean, from one end of the hood to the other, there are guns. There's some other, I don't know what these bags are. It looks like, could it be black tar heroin? I don't have any idea. There are prescription bottle drugs behind it. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There are eight stacks of cash money, guns, um, rounds of ammo, cash money, cocaine, um an abundance of cocaine uh prescription bottles i have no idea can't read what's in there there are four bags they're not white like cocaine they're black they may be wrapped in black material or it may be black i don't have any idea but this is the person i mean they catch this person with all of this paraphernalia and this person is bonded out and back on the street the very next day something tells me that when you fill the hood of a car with cocaine and guns and cash and prescriptions um, you don't need to be back on the street the very next day, but some local judicial official has the authority to do that. And the interesting part is it's a no story because we live in a news desert. Nobody talks about these sorts yeah, of things. I think the public deserves an explanation as to why. They need to know. You need to know yeah. if your community's dangerous or not. You need to know if people in elected or appointed office are doing these sorts of, of things or not. This is not personal. It'll never be personal. But, but, but a, a true media, the fifth estate, is there to hold people accountable. That's what you're there to do. Um, a government is nothing more. When you accept a responsibility within a government, you become a trustee. And, and along with that comes an oversight. I mean, I, I didn't like going through the troubles I was going through as lieutenant governor, but I accepted when I signed my name filing for office and asked the public to vote for me, there was a different level of scrutiny. I mean, that's just the realities of it. So when you're an elected official or an appointed official and you don't have a media that's telling your constituency what you are or are not doing, you know what they depend on? Your Facebook page, your Twitter account, your website. Well, if you ask me how good a politician I was, I was a damn good one. I never did anything wrong. They railroaded me out of town. That's not the truth. But we don't get the truth much anymore, especially in news deserts like Florence, Orangeburg, and Sumter, because we've had these enormous population shifts. We've had this um, th this evolution of media from traditional sorts into social media and digital, and you know every story's uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. And I think the public deserves uh, someone doing a better job. And I think we have an obligation and a response. We're never going to stop being an opinion radio show. I mean, that's our, I would say claim to fame. That's quite the overstatement. That's our, that's our niche. That's what we do here. But I do believe, Rhea, because we live in a place that does not commit resources to doing the deep dive to find out exactly what's going on, 
we, we, we must do this. I mean, we must accept and embrace this challenge, and, um, and I'm willing to do it. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I need a tutorial here. I mean, I normally know everything, right? I mean, you guys are surprised when I don't know the answer You're to something. You're supposed to be teaching us, Sure, right? and, and I can normally BS my way through it if I don't know the answer. What is the difference? I mean, when does someone go before a judge? I mean, I get that you call the magistrate a judge. I mean, I understand that. I mean, he's, he's treated as if he's a judge. Uh, so why, what, what, is the, what is the distinguishment? I mean, what is the difference in a magistrate and a judge? When do you go see a judge? When do you go see a magistrate? Is it hours of the day? Is it, is it you know, a, a certain threshold you cross? Um, I would imagine that $3.4 million worth of cocaine, guns, cash, and prescription drugs um, on the interstate would be quite the offense. Am I wrong? It would seem like that to me. But I'm trying. I mean, I'm getting a lot of text here from um, – I mean, I actually got the arrest documentation and some other things. <laughs> I had to text. Can you put the picture of the um, the drug bust on your website? We may try to do that here in just a second. I think we need to get ourselves somewhat in the news business. Not full-fledged, but we need to dedicate a certain percentage of our resources and a lot of time in doing some news so some deep digging and diving and, and holding people accountable, not to be troublemakers, but to do it for you, our listenership, who are also citizens uh, of the markets of which we broadcast. Let's go to the phone. Linda in Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Linda. Yes, good morning to everyone. I love your new handlers and the voice. It's very, very nice. But I've worked in family court for about three years. So in family court, people come in there scared. They're worried about what's going to happen. Because they don't, each situation is different. And you don't know, there are three different judges, so you don't know where you might end up or what you may have to do to prove that you're innocent. And it's not you innocent and proven guilty. You are innocent. You are guilty in family court. But um, also, my father-in-law was a bail bondman. I worked for him. And I've learned that the bail's bondman, the magistrate, the attorney, all of them are friends. So they work together. So if you call a particular bail's bondman and his, his um, and the client's attorney and all of them are friends, yes, you are getting out. And you're getting out at a low bond because everybody is friends to everyone. So, but um, I don't, I really don't know how you would really deal with this. And even in something with the situation with the superintendent, she got a job back because the concerned clergymen, they're not concerned about the children. They were her friends, and they went back for her. And rather not um, the legal fees or what went on with her um, leaving because she wasn't fired. She left on her own. No, it's all about who you're friends with. Thank you, Linda. I, well, I've often said, thank you, Linda. we got to take a break here in just a second. I've always said, um, and I learned this in a hurry, it, it's not protocol, it's who to call. I mean, I, you know, I learned that. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not disgusted by all of that. I mean, I understand, um, you know, helping people. Uh, and, and once again, I remember a case of someone in, and this goes back to my time on county council, there was somebody at the, at the jail, the county jail, that had been there like 311 days, and they were guilty of writing bad checks. Now, now you can't let people write bad checks. I mean, there's a responsibility. You got to make whole. You got to. Uh, there's a debt you owe to society for breaking those laws. But 311 days incarcerated, 
Uh, it's almost like, how do you make money in jail to make the check good? I mean, it's kind of a vicious cycle. The, the point I'm trying to make on this particular situation, two things. Why did a magistrate and not a judge? I get that a magistrate is called a judge. I understand that. But why did someone with, with guns, $66,000 in cash, and $3.4 million worth of cocaine go before a magistrate, not a judge, and why were they bonded out at fifty grand on the street the next day? I mean, forget the bad check, forget the 311 days. That's the point of concern today, and I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of opinions. I don't know that I'm getting any answers. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. This story's kind of developing, and this is, I mean, I guess we're doing journalism and reporting here. Um, I mean, this is an opinion radio show. I mean, the reason people can't pin me down on what is said or not said, I've never professed to be a journalist. I've never argued that we do news here. We don't do hard-hitting news here. We give our opinion and our phone number, and we argue about whatever it is we choose to argue about. We disagree. We agree. We like one another for a day or two. We don't like one another for a day or two. It's the nature of this business. But all we are is a forum of which a host provides or gives states his opinion, and then you folks take it from there. I mean, it's, it's kind of the um, it's the most natural way of communicating. I believe this. You believe that. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. But something that is viable to a community is news. There, there has to be a media agency reporting on what the truth is, that there's a difference in my opinion and the truth. Very often, my opinion is the truth. Sometimes it's not. I mean, sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right. I'm no different than you are. I study it a lot more. I try to better understand it so I get over the airways and, and articulate what it is I believe and, and why I believe it. But the truth is the truth, and the media historically has had a responsibility to tell its um, uh, listeners, viewers, uh, purchasers, clients, customers what the truth is. So here's what I found out. In the short period of time, we brought it up, what, 30 or 40 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get a text last night about a, a $3.2 million cocaine deal, guns, $66,000 in cash. I think the perpetrator of the crime is from Florida, and they post a $50,000 bond, surety bond, and the guy's out. I mean, that, that's the truth of it. There's a lot more to this. So, so here's some things I've learned. Um, the magistrate who... Um, issued the $50,000 surety bond. And once again, I don't know when you go before a judge or a, or a magistrate. And I understand magistrates are called judges, but there's a reason that they're called a magistrate. I don't know what the distinguishment, what the line of demarcation between why you go before one and when you go before the other. The magistrate decided to post a 50 or to allow for a $50,000 surety bond for someone who had $3.2 million worth of cocaine, guns, and $66,000 in cash. At the surface, that seems irresponsible. And we've heard from law enforcement, and I hear a lot more than you guys do. We're not getting help, man. We're out here risking our hide, trying to police the streets, trying to manage uh, the community's legal affairs, and we're not getting any help from, uh, I don't want to say the courthouse, but where those sorts of decisions are made. Um, so a magistrate issues a $50,000 surety bond or calls for a $50,000 surety bond for someone who sold three point or had, and I, I would imagine the intent to traffic, $3.2 million worth of cocaine, guns, um, cash, that, you know, what you see in the movies. I mean, I've got the, the visual here, but I mean, it's on the hood of a car. It's on a desk. It's what you see in a movie. 
I mean, I'm not saying it looks like Pablo Escobar, but but it's a lot of damn cocaine, and it's guns and cash, and looks like to me some medicine bottles, prescription drugs as well. So the magistrate does this. Now, here's what I found out: the the magistrate that issued or or requested the bond that that said this is the bond that that I'm demanding or asking or request. I don't know how that works. Um, he is acting as a subordinate to the chief magistrate. In other words, the chief magistrate gives directives. All the magistrates within, or I don't want to say at the mercy of the chief uh, magistrate, but they are under the directive on issuing bonds of that said chief magistrate. The officers requested a no bond. The magistrate said he could not do that. That's what I've learned. So, So the officers out there risking their hide, trying to keep the streets safe, trying to keep the um, the highways and byways and buildings and businesses safe in our community, requested of the magistrates to not allow for a bond. The, the magistrate said, I cannot do that. I have no idea how extensive a conversation that was, how limited a conversation was, um, what sort of conversation was had, what formalities are, are going through when we, I, I don't have any idea of that. But, 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 but here's what I don't understand. If law enforcement deems this person, and it's pretty obvious, $3.2 million in cocaine, guns and cash, to be a menace or danger or threat to society or, or a, a likely person to flee, what is it, flight? I mean, that kind of the word in, in, in legal terminology, I mean, he's a risk to flight or risk for flight. Why would you go against the wishes of the law enforcement agencies? I just don't understand that that there's a disconnect here. And I understand the disgruntlement and frustration that the sheriff's department has. I don't know about it, Sumter in Orangeburg. I don't have any idea. We just had someone called in from Orangeburg and someone called from Sumter. Linda said, everybody's a friend of everybody. And if you're a friend, you get taken care of. If you're not, you don't. This person is on the interstate from Florida with guns, cocaine, and cash. And a magistrate in Florence County said it's okay for this person to be released with a $50,000 surety bond. That makes no sense to me. It's almost an assault or an affront to law enforcement. And and who's making this decision? Who's making these decisions? Because they're not in the name of community safety, and they're not supporting law enforcement. And at the end of the day, I want my community to be safe. There are very few times I interact with a magistrate. I interact with law enforcement. They're on our show every month. We hear the grind. We, we know what these guys try and do. None are getting rich. Okay? I mean, this is not, you know, they're, they're not starting Tesla or SpaceX. That They're not careers that lead to personal wealth. I mean, you can make a comfortable living, and you can get some health care and retirement and benefits and all. And, you know, we talk a lot about the, the public sector and the private sector. But, but the, these guys are doing the dirty work. They're doing the heavy lifting. The least a magistrate can do, in my humble opinion, without being as informed as I probably need to be, when these guys arrest someone like that and request a no bond, and the magistrate says he can't do that, that's the fundamental question. Why does the magistrate say, I can't do that? Who told that magistrate? If they're under the the control or directive of a chief magistrate, who makes that decision? That's news. That's not political opinion. That's not innuendo. That's not a guy on the radio running his mouth. That's a damn serious question that deserves a damn serious answer, and that question's not being asked, and we're not being provided with that answer. 
and we deserve to know these sorts of things and it's the job of the media to get to the bottom of these things we just simply don't have a media the print media is is a dinosaur it doesn't exist anymore i mean they're wishing happy birthdays and you know and uh, I, I guess they're still doing the um the probate courts and the judgments and all these other sorts of things that they must post uh, we need to change that law I'm sorry. I mean, we just need to change that law. Nobody reads the newspaper any longer. So why are we still having these mandatory public notices at a place where nobody reads any longer? These need to be on a website somewhere. I mean, it's, 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 it's absurd, but I guess they've, you know, figured out a way to kind of lobby and hold on to that cash stream. Uh, probably the only, way is, the only way they keep their head above water. And, uh, and I get it. I mean, you're fighting for what it is you believe you're entitled to. But, but we've got to do a better job on Wake Up Carolina of addressing these news stories. And I don't know how to do this. I mean, but we've got to integrate at some point in time in these broadcasts some news because law enforcement deserves to, 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 their story deserves to be told. And I don't know that we're getting to the bottom of it. Well, I'm glad the first step was that this, you know, this situation came to light to you. You addressed it. We had a lot of interaction and calls from listeners. You now, don't know what, the interaction. Look at my phone. I mean, you've got, oh, you've got no idea the interaction. Wow. I mean, it's call after call, text but, after but I'm talking text about after text. The, the ones sure. that have called the show and, and gone on the air. So the question is, though, in this particular case, because there is something that we are trying to figure out on behalf of the citizens of the community, is how can we figure that out and ask and get an answer to the question? And I want to make clear, I'm not taking law enforcement side. I'm not I'm not opposed to magistrates. I'm not opposed to, to judges. I mean, I've got friends who are judges. I've got friends who are magistrates. The, the point I'm trying to make is if, if law enforcement, here to me is a central question. Tell me if I'm wrong, Rev. I mean, the, the fundamental question here is, if, if someone was caught with $3.2 million, $3. million worth of cocaine, guns, and cash, and law enforcement recommended a no bond. And the magistrate said, I can't do that. Why couldn't they do it? And was it because they were directed by the chief magistrate to look at that? I guess, um, what, what is it, uh, drug crimes or victimless crimes? No, they aren't. The, the majority of violent crimes are committed against people by people looking for what? A way to get their fix. I mean, when people break into your home and steal your television, do you think they take that money and join the Gamecock Club? I mean, do you think they take that money and put it in the plate at church? No, they go buy drugs. I mean, there, there's, there's evidence after evidence after evidence of that is what they do. So someone with $3.2 million may not be a violent offender, but those who are buying the drugs are the very people who are going to break into your home are going to hold your wife up at a store somewhere, going to rob a liquor store and potentially shoot someone. I mean, we, we, these are serious problems, guys, and they deserve serious consideration. And, and we're in a bad place if I'm the best we can do. I mean, in all honesty, and I, and I say that not being self-effacing, I'm being as sincere as the day is long. We have gotten ourselves in a mess when you're counting on me to tell these sorts of stories. But it seems that I'm the only one willing and, and once again, I've got a lot of texts here from people in judiciary, from people in law enforcement, from citizens of the community. You know what they're doing? Encouraging. Somebody has to express concern about these issues. If you hadn't brought it up this morning, it would still be nobody'd well, know. Everybody knew that there was a $3.2 million drug bust. I mean, I read that. Did you read that, Rev? Mm-hmm. Okay, I saw, so, I saw so, it online. So everybody knew that. I mean, there was a big drug bust. Right, good for law enforcement. Yay to TJ and his crowd at, at the Sheriff's Department. Nobody knew about the sentencing part of this. And if we had a viable media, we would all be aware 
of what was done or not done. Let's go to the phone. Uh, we have Ralph in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I have a comment just talking about news in general. I generally getting up in the morning will watch the local news. I watch a channel out of Charleston. Don't have much faith in the national news. But what I found is that I'm seeing more and more national news stories on the local channel. And I think that's an intentional effort to promote a line of thinking. Anyway, just notice that you were talking about news. Wanted to share that. See what you thought. Thank you, sir. Yes, there's no, we've nationalized news. I mean, there's no doubt about it. What we've done in news, we've nationalized and decentralized. All the news is about the same. NBC in San Antonio is probably broadcasting about the same story as NBC in Atlanta. Now, these are major markets, and the, the population density and the critical mass of people allow them to dedicate resources. We're a, we're a smallish community in a smallish area, and when digital media, excuse me, when print media only has so much money, what do they do? They leave the places where the people aren't. They dedicate the limited resources to the places the people are. I mean, even the New York Times, Washington Post, and Wall Street Journal are struggling. I mean, their digital model is probably more lucrative than its print model. Um, and we've decentralized. By that, I mean there are a thousand different places to get a thousand different storylines. You got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and talk radio and, and the news and a website and another website and an extremely conservative website, an extremely liberal website. But, but communities still need to know what's going on they deserve to know what's going on and we've had a um ah, an exportation of resources from smaller communities in regards to the media and traditional news and these stories aren't getting the proper coverage and i understand law enforcement's concern i understand their frustration make a big arrest uh, that's reported on but there, there, there are other stories there are secondary stories here and I, I if i didn't know these people and and weren't associated with these people, I would have never got this heads up. And it was not to try and demean or or, or diminish anybody. I I can assure you, I know the person that sent me the, it was just like, wow, can you believe that that a a $50,000 surety bond was was, was basically, um, what what is the word? Is it a sentence? I mean, what what is it? Uh, Are you commissioning a sentence? Are you executing a sentence? Or uh, what what is the proper terminology? Well, uh, you know, hands down. I mean, I've heard that. See, you know, read it. He handed down a sentence. They handed down a sentence. So I guess handing down a $50,000 surety bond just seems Set, totally. Setting bond. Setting bond yeah. seems totally inappropriate in this particular case. Let's go to the phone. Here's John in Lamar. Good morning, John. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. Look, I, I'm not quite sure um, Ken was talking about uh, the difference between a, a judge and a, and a magistrate. Um, I've been around magistrates for a long, long time. Um up north, they're called court commissioners, and what they do is handle the small stuff, after hours and stuff like that, that a judge just don't have time for. They're kind of like a helper, but they don't have the authority a judge has. But I also want to bring something else to your attention that I haven't heard you hit on yet today. Uh, these people with the drugs uh, apparently were from Florida. They got let out on a surety bond of $50,000, which is like five five grand. They're back in Florida having a big time right now, probably on the way to fix more up to go on back to business. They probably will never stay in trial for that or probably never come back unless they're educated. Well, of course. So, I mean, that, that, that's my thinking as well, John. I don't have any idea. I mean, how, how do you uh, – I mean, do you believe 
thank you. Appreciate the call. But do we believe that that person is going to be excited about coming back to Florence to face trial? I mean, who 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 demands they come back? I mean, is there is Dog the Bounty Hunter? I mean, eventually, do we end up with an episode of Dog the Bounty Hunter bringing the guy back to meet or to face trial? I don't have any idea of these um, questions. I can tell you this, though. There seems to be enough interest in this story that I'm going to find out who can come in the studio and walk us through. I mean, those are things the public needs to know. And we don't pay much attention until all of a sudden, you know, uh, a, a tip is given, and out of that, a conversation is created, and out of that, we find out something that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, how can that be? How can a person get stopped in a town with $3.2 million of cocaine, guns, and 60 some thousand dollars in cash, and sleep in their same bed at home that night? I mean, that's absurd, the absurdity of that. And if you deem it, I mean, if you if you categorize it as absurd, then who's responsible? And that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. It's not personal. It never is personal with me. But but the the, the thing that really troubles me, Rev, is law enforcement requested no bond, and they still gave a bond. Let's go to the phone. Uh, they dropped. Okay, I'm sorry. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. A lot of calls are dropping. Yeah. Uh, Calling in, holding on for a minute or two. I guess you got things to do, yeah. like earning a living, and uh, and not listening <laughs> to a that. blowhard uh, trying to play reporter on television. And I mean what I said. When we've gotten to a place where I'm the guy that you expect to provide this sort of information, we've really gotten ourselves in a bad, bad place. But we're going to try. And I've told Rev this for several years. I just think there's a way to integrate hard news into this broadcast in a community that, for whatever reason, does not have any hard news being reported on. Let's go to the phone. This is Ashley in Poston's Corner. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, fellas. Great show as usual. Um, the chief magistrate in Florence County is Belinda B. Timmons. Um, Ken, I'd like you to try and figure out who appointed her. I mean, they need to be held responsible also. Uh, there needs to be from our news outlets, there needs to be more reporting on her history on how these bonds have gone. Plus, who appointed her and how did she get appointed? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I know the name. I mean, I know who appointed her. I mean, we'll, we'll get there. I just want to be real careful about calling. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate that. But um, uh, I, mean, I, I know kind of sort of how this game is played. Um, and I accept, Rev, I mean, you've heard me. I mean, I'm a good old boy. I mean, I, yeah, I'll, I'll confess that. We'll get back to opinion for a second. <laughs> I understand the way politics, most of you understand it. I mean, we're not, n- nobody's naive to any of that. When I say it's not uh, protocol, it's who to call. You know what most of you say? I don't like it, but he's right. And you accept a certain percentage of that. I mean, we accept um, some of that. Uh, but But you can't let someone like this be back on the street sleeping in their same bed or to bed in Costa Rica. I mean, if he knows how to get $3.2 million worth of cocaine, he's had money in his hands before. I mean, he had $66,000 in cash money in his hand. Um, what are the odds we don't see him again? What, what are the odds he is a flight risk? And we never, ever prosecute. Um, how do we score judges? How do we score magistrates? How do we hold um, the politicians who appoint these people accountable? These, these are questions that I think the public deserve to have answered but but as ashley said i mean yeah, th- these are people i mean they're real names that they're real appointments made that this is not you know um this is not in, in the abstract this is not we're not theorizing 
about what could have been or what, what might have been or what, what may be. No, th- these are real people. We know, or I do, I know who's in the jobs. I mean, I think I know who appointed these particular people. I want to make sure before I say too much about that. And by and large, I would imagine these people do a good job. I mean, I don't know if they do. I don't know if they don't. I know there's a lot of disgruntlement with law enforcement about the sentencing of the people they lock up. And we've got to address that. If we've got, if law enforcement believes that we've got a problem in the way these people are being sentenced or sentenced and, and how they're abiding or not abiding the sentencing guidelines, that then we need to shine a bright light on that. Let's go to the phone. Our next caller is Tony. Hey, Tony, good morning. You're on. Hey, good morning. Contrarian minute, Ken. There you um, go. I have a question for you. Who was whose rights were violated by that person's possession of the cocaine, the guns, the drugs, cell phones, and the car itself? Whose uh, the, rights were violated? The law. The law. The the, the law has no rights. I mean, but who's right? I mean, the, what I'm trying to get get at, Ken, is that there's a difference between what's lawful and what's legal. Lawful speaks to the spirit and intent of law. Legal speaks to the written man's interpretation of a legal code. The statute itself defines what's legal and not legal. The rights that God gave us define what's lawful and unlawful action. If no one's rights were violated, that action is completely lawful. I mean, it's not illegal. It should not be illegal, but in this case it is. Um, Thomas Jefferson said that rightful liberty is unrestricted action according to your will, limited only by the equal rights of others. And he adds the note. I do not say of law, because law is often nothing but the tyrant's will. Um, So any action you or I take that does not harm the rights of another individual is a lawful action. Any action we take which does violate someone else's rights is an unlawful action. So that person's possession of all that cocaine and drugs and guns and whatever else he had didn't harm any individual's rights. So it was a lawful action. He had a right to have all those things. It was illegal because the legal code defines it as illegal. Um, well, I mean, you're playing the libertarian argument. My, my, the point I would try to make, I'll play, I'll play the other side for a second. So what do we do with a guy with $3.2 million worth of cocaine, $66,000 in cash and a gun? Congratulate him on his uh, success. Uh, be jealous of his. Success. I'm glad. I'm glad you're not in charge, Whoa. Tony. I'm about as libertarian as they come. I am. <laughs> wow. I am deeply concerned that that's how you feel. Well, what I'm trying to get at, Ken, is that. Well, I mean, you've gotten at it. I, mean, I understand what you're saying. I understand exactly what you're <laughs> saying. Say much more than I mean, that. It's, 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 it's libertarian to the extreme. I accept what you're saying, but but I want you to. So 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 you would argue that somebody with $3.2 million worth of cocaine, guns, and cash are to be sent on their merry way. Absolutely. Okay. He, he hasn't violated anybody's rights. He hasn't broken the law. If he's you and I— code, if, He hasn't broken the law. Should I be made to drive on one side of the road or the other? No. Okay. You can pick wherever you want to drive. Okay. So so in Tony's I mean, world, that there is, no, there is I, no side of the road which I'm required to drive on. What I'm trying to get at, Ken, is that you have, if you're to have rightful liberty, if you're to, to enjoy your freedoms, 
You can do anything you want to do as long as you don't violate the rights of another. But, but Tony, the argument I would make, it. and you and I have had a lot of conversation, and I, and I enjoy, you always make me think a little bit, but, but the argument you're making is the reason conservatism can't thrive. It can't prosper because that's the extreme model. That's so extreme, no reasonable person believes that. I mean, any conservative believes, and I'm, I'm a fairly conservative guy. I got a big libertarian streak about me, um, but I do believe that government has a right to demand I ride on one side of the road or not. I mean, if government is the way in which we order society to conduct itself a certain way and, and society decides, hey, this side of the road is yours, this side is mine, I think I can be a libertarian. I think I can be a conservative and still believe that there's a certain construct that has to exist, kind of a, I don't know, a deal we make with one another. Now, you, you and I would agree that government is taking it to the extreme on the other side, but I think the the, the rationale you're using is why most people say, well, that, that's just nutty. I mean, that's crazy to, to believe we, we shouldn't drive on one side of the road and a guy with $3.2 million worth of cocaine, guns, and cash should be sent on his merry way. Uh, it, it's uh, you, you said government has a right to. Where does the government get a right from? Rights come from God. And they only go to individuals. But I mean, we're we're an experiment no of, of but, right. but uh, and I understand and I respect that. I certainly agree that unalienable is the key. I mean, that, that uh, your rights are derived laws, from though. a creator. But but our but our, our model of self governance, our representative republic, uh, allows you and I to elect somebody to go make certain rules and and, and issue certain requirements that we're bound to. Now you would be a limited government guy. I would be a limited government guy, and I'm not. I'm not so far away from you. I I kind of meander off into anarchy from time to time. But but I just believe that that those of us who are somewhat libertarian and and conservative and want limited government, I think we lose credibility when we say there there should be no side of the road which we're required to drive on, and a guy that's got three point two million dollars worth of cocaine, guns, and cash is not a threat nor menace to anybody. I understand what you're saying. Um, I'm not sure where to go with that. Well, I mean, I, I, I understand. I just, what, uh, thank I mean, you. what I'm getting at, Ken, is that with rightful liberty comes ultimate responsibility. If you allow people to get away with violating someone's rights, you know, it, 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 it's just bad for society. And I don't agree with, with anarchy. I believe we need a government. Thomas Jefferson said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and created equal, that they are dealt by their creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And then he adds that to secure these rights, governments are formed amongst men. We form a government to protect our rights. If I mean, there's no government with a soul. There's no police department with a soul. There's no group with a soul. There's no you know white group with a soul. There's no black group with a soul. Individuals are the most important people on the planet. And protection of each one of those individuals' rights is why we form government. But you would why government exists. And, and I don't disagree with that, but but Tony, surely you would agree that philosophically there has to be some degree of pragmatism. I mean, I understand the philosophy of which you're expounding, the philosophy that you're advocating for. Um, I mean, if I were philosophizing in the abstract, I would probably be with you. But I think there's a practicality that we have to consider that there's a pragmatism that is required. If 330 million people are going to coexist with one another in, in, a, in, a, in a continent between two oceans, and, and we, we got 350 million vehicles, there, there has to be some rules of the road, so to speak, of which we're required. Right. And and well, I mean, you don't me, disagree with that, do you? I mean, no. Let me let me back up. Let me give you, you certainly understand me, that. 
Let me give you the example. About three months ago, a radio talk show host said, as the president of the Senate in the state of South Carolina, he had to weigh, and he used the word common good, then he changed the words to societal good of the individual rights. He had to weigh individual rights versus the common good, and then he changed it to societal good. Um, the only obligation we have as individuals to society is to not violate the rights of our fellow citizens. That's the only obligation. Anytime any right is given up, you're forming a chain of bondage to the state, a chain which reduces you, you to as absolute despotism. But, any right. But once, but once we instituted a form of government and gave that government the authority to base to, to basically create laws, we became obligated and 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 committed to have to follow those laws. Uh, did we? Because uh, Mar- Marsbury or Marbury versus Madison says that laws contrary to the Constitution are are void, null, and of no force. Yeah, um, the Constitution is based upon the rights of the individual, not the rights of groups, but the rights of individuals. So the basis of that decision, Marbury versus Madison, was individual rights. In other words, is it a lawful action or an unlawful action? That guy with the cocaine rights, he had a right to have that product. Um, the government has, I mean, the government wrote the law that you can't hold that much cocaine. But that law makes a lawful, that legal code makes a lawful action illegal. You're playing it it's out to the extreme. Radical. Thank you, Tony. We got to take a break. We'll be back in just a second. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Tony outflanked me. <laughs> I mean, I'm normally about as libertarian as yeah. libertarian as they come. Damn, he's to the right of me <laughs> on, on most of that stuff. I don't know if he's trying to be argumentative, or well, some of that is probably trying to be philosophically argumentative, and some of that is truly what he believes. Yeah. And and I accept exactly what he says uh, in theory. I just think the practicality of living our lives requires us to subject ourselves. To some things we ain't real crazy about. Let's go to the phone. Bob in Florence. Hey, Bob. Hey, guys. Good morning. Ken, I, I, I wondered about that. I'm wondering if, if it was the plan of law enforcement from the beginning to get this guy back out on the street so that they could uh, perhaps track him back to his handlers. Uh, I went fishing with a guy years ago, and uh, he caught a brim. And uh, he took the brim, and he, he took about six feet of fishing line, and he, he hooked it in the brim's one of his fins and put a cork on the other end and threw the brim back out. Well, the brim swam back to where the brim bed was. So the, 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 we knew mm-hmm. where to fish then. Mm-hmm. So, so perhaps law enforcement wanted to make this look good. Uh, what what did you say? They, they did a $50,000 bond out? A uh, $50,000 surety bond. Surety bond. Okay, somebody had to put up the fifty k. It probably wasn't a family member. It was probably whoever he works for, and uh, by doing that, they a they they could track the money, and b they could track him, and maybe he's not the big fish that they wanted. I hope you're right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, that, that's a theory, and I hope you're right. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate the call. Uh, we got time for another call, real quick. Let's go to the phone. Anthony in Florence. Hi, Anthony. Hello, Ken. How are you this morning? Hey, Anthony. How are you? Good. You're on the air. Okay. Hey, I just wanted to say, uh, sounds to me like somebody made a phone call to somebody that could post that to get it so low. 
if that guy had that much cash and that much drugs that had some kind of value to it, how could that possibly bond at that such low rate? Yeah, I, I don't have any idea. I'm gathering information. Appreciate the call. I'm gathering information as we speak. It's pretty amazing what we've done in an hour. I mean, I'm not a reporter. I don't have any training at all in journalism. The only thing I've got, and, and Rev always, I, I just know a bunch of people. Uh, you know, I have a bunch of friendly relationships out there in the political business, um, I guess, law enforcement world. And um, and this story bothered me. I mean, it bothered me a lot that law enforcement appeared to be deeply bothered and upset by this sort of perpetrator of, of crime to be allowed that sort of, of disproportional treatment as it relates to um, setting bond. That's just... And I think uh, maybe a, a public explanation, or at least the question being sure. asked, is appropriate. Well, I mean, we, we've raised... In the, the name of public we, We've raised the issue. Yeah. We'll see where it goes from here. Let's um, we take a break now? Uh, yep. Okay, let's take our break. We'll be back in just a second. Let's do some good news here for a second. Joey Edwards is with us. Joey is with the Youth Mentors of the PD. He comes every year to talk about this barbecue cook-off festival they have. Um, I think it's near the Palmetto Peddlers. Joey, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Ken. So, so, so we've argued about what should have been done, what was done. Uh, somebody got to the right of me, and that's real hard to do in my political biases and leanings. But but you're here as an advocate for Youth Mentors of the PD, but we need the public's help. Tell us um, Tell us what you're up to and how we can help. Okay, this Friday and Saturday, April 8th and 9th, we're having our barbecue cook-off fundraiser. Friday night is from 5 to 8, and that's when the cookers come and they cook anything but barbecue. You could get chicken bog, shrimp and grits, and just anything but barbecue, and that's from 5 to 8. Wristbands are $10. Children with 12 and under with a paying adult get in for free. On Saturday from 11 until 2 is the big event. That's when we actually have the barbecue cook-off. Now, these guys are professional pit masters if you will they're serious about their business too <laughs> exactly right and this is a, a sanctioned event by the south carolina barbecue association and these guys get judged and we have cash prizes trophies and it's a year-long contest through the south carolina barbecue associations they get points for participating in these events and winning them at the end of the year they have the pit master of the year so these guys are professional and so please come out and enjoy some good good barbecue and support a good cause. What is that good cause, Joey? Tell us what Youth Mentors of the PD is. Okay, what we do is we work with children from single parent and broken homes. Now, these children are in this situation through no fault of their own. It's just the hand that they've been dealt, and it's a difficult situation. And what we try to do is we try to get involved in the child's life, encourage them in their academics, in their behavior, and hopefully help them become a productive citizen in society. The ultimate thing is to try to match them with an adult mentor that they share some similar interests with, that they can develop a friendship with, and do some things that they otherwise may not have a chance to do. Some positive influences on their life when they probably don't have a lot of positive influences. This is at Palmetto Peddlers. It's Friday and Saturday. It's a fundraiser, $10 wristbands per person for Friday $10 wristbands uh, bands per person for Saturday. Um, that's at the corner. Is it Hopmeyer and Darlington Street? That's correct, Ken. Yeah. Uh, but, but I want you to do this, if you don't mind. I've got a couple of minutes here. Um, obviously, you want to sell wristbands. We want to raise money. But human capital is of great value to you. If somebody wants to be a mentor, if they want to help you in the next step, how, how do they do that? Okay, they can give our office a call. The number is 843-662-7081. And also, you can go to our website. That's uh, youthmentorsofthepd.com, 
And like I say, there again, you're exactly right, Ken. Like I say, the money is certainly a necessary evil, something we have to have to run our organization. But we need volunteers. I say some people to come and get involved in these children's life, help them become through the difficult times of growing up and hopefully help them become productive citizens in society instead of burdens on society. And say it saves. I mean, it makes the world a better place. That's At the exactly end of the day, right. it makes the world a better place. So this Friday, this Saturday, if someone um, has a question, is there a number they can call? I mean, people riding down the road, they remember something they kind of don't remember. It, but but if you've got a number or a website or something that they can uh, refer to, uh, give us that if you don't mind. The number is eight four three six six two seven zero eight one, and our website is youthmentorsofthepd.com. Okay, thank you, Joey. Thank you, Appreciate Ken. It. Good to see you. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Here is Nick in Lexington. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Quick, I know we got a limited time, but have you ever noticed when they arrest the big drug lord, they always have American dollars? I do. They never have pesos, <laughs> you know, when they got um, El Chapo. So we're the ones buying the thing. Second thing is, is the guy had a right to get bond. The third thing is, is you got $3.2 million off the street. You got $50,000 fine, so to speak, and you got $66,000. That might have put a dent in El Chapo or whoever. Maybe they won't run through Florence County anymore. Yeah, but I'm not saying it was a failure. I just don't, I don't understand I mean, I've had people text me this morning about people that are incarcerated today for burglary. They've been in jail for 111 or 12 days for for, for burglary. And and a guy gets $3.2 million worth of cocaine, and he's out the next day. So there there seems to be some some inconsistencies there to me. But but don't you know that little mule? You're just getting a mule. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, that might have been his $66,000 he got to go to New York. I might drive it for $66,000. Yeah. Good luck with that. I don't want any part of it. That's say, you know uh, what I mean? I mean sure, I do. Of course. It depends on how hard times you are. Yeah. I mean, I've never been one to say I'll never do that because I don't know what I'd do, you know, when I was put in difficult situations or circumstances. Thank you for the call. To appreciate that. Um, do we have another break? I'm losing. This is, this is the end of the show. We, we, 30 seconds. We went way too long. And <laughs> Tony and I trying to get to the right of one another. Um, that and, was and, interesting. No, Tony pulled at my heartstrings. Because he said he kept saying Jefferson, Jefferson, Jefferson. <laughs> yes, Jefferson. I noticed he did that. And I'm like, I can argue with Tony, but I'm not arguing with TJ. I mean, there's no way I'm arguing. If TJ said it, you know how I feel about it. So I think Tony was, um, I think he was playing me using the uh, or bringing up Thomas Jefferson. He was. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.